You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about the crowd. It's the size of the school. Their fancy uniforms. And remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up all those inches, that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning and losing. It's down to the wire with, 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 with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. A Petey! A Petey! On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember, you can reach us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And you can call us at 631-965-4990. We have a great show lined up for you guys, as you guys know. And we have our first guest actually on the line right now. We are going to be talking to the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. What's up, Corey? Hey, guys. How are you? We are good, my friend. How is everything going on over there in Minnesota with the COVID-19 with you and your family? You know, we're, we're doing okay. You know, my wife and my two young kids, we're making the best of it. I'm lucky that I'm married to a teacher. So uh, in terms <laughs> of schooling, uh, she, she's crushing this uh, with the kids and you know, I, we, we, my wife and I talk about this every night, that I, I, we've never spent this amount of time together this continuously before. Uh, I just never had, you know, including spring training, I've never had, you know, five weeks, six weeks, whatever it's been now, where I've been around for everything. And we've seen each other every single day because it's been, you know, work and travel and baseball and then off-season work that I do. I, so I've never had this time with them so we're really making the most of it. There aren't any silver linings to this pandemic, but just the family time that, uh, that I'm getting right now is certainly a bonus. Well, let's get into some Minnesota Twins conversation. With the addition of Maheda, do you think this pitching staff is among the league's best right now? It's better. I mean, there's no doubt it's better. I mean, if I beat you back to the last year, the Twins were, they, they were short on pitching. I mean, they felt going into that Yankees series that they could match up offensively. Uh, bullpen, probably not as much, but they certainly had, you know, they were they were down in terms of pitching. You know, Michael Pineda's suspension really, really crushed the, the outlook of that staff. I mean, you know, if Pineda's not suspended, and then he goes in game two, or maybe Odorizzi goes in game two, and the opposite goes in game three, who knows where that plays out. But it was asking a lot for Randy Gobnack out there uh, to start game two of that series. But, you know, they, they really like their system. They like the, the guys that, that that they have in their system. You know, that there may not be a one or a two right now, but they feel like, you know, there's some good three, four, and five guys they have internally. And I think with Maeda, what they love with that, you know, his contract, very team-friendly. But just look at his postseason experience. He's just not a guy that, I, I you know, anybody would expect to be scared or nervous in any postseason spot, he's pitched in some really big games. And if you look at the roster the Twins had last year, from a pitching standpoint, there weren't many guys that you could say that about. Corey, you mentioned 
Maeda, but they're also signed a lot of other guys, a lot of guys that are both starters and relievers, Homer Bailey and Rich Hill, another guy from the Dodgers with a big postseason experience. What do you think performance-wise you should, you should expect from them and also the roles they'll play on that team? Well, Rich Hill, I mean, he wasn't going to debut until June. Now, that was the plan. He was coming off elbow surgery, so they thought he'd you know, no rush, no reason to rush him back, but they thought by June, July that he'd be, he'd be good to go. You know, Homer Bailey was, was kind of brought in to be the back-end starter, uh, be that number four, number five. Pineda was going to serve his suspension. Um, he had to finish that up, and you know, had he started on time and played, he would have been eligible to pitch again in May. They, they just wanted to throw. There was some no-risk moves out there to make. And, you know, the, the Twins have gone down that road a lot here the last three or three years. So they've signed, you know, veterans. It's a maybe one-year deal. They haven't gone to, like, two, three, four-year deals with too many guys. Uh, they've really kept it to, to one-year deals. So, of course, you know, it looks like a, it looks like a great move. If it doesn't, then you know what? There's no real risk because there's no long-term connection. But, you know, they, they I thought they had a great offseason. I think they, they think the goal was to, to get, you know, a front-line starting pitcher, but they were going to get Derek Cole. Uh, you know, how much they inquired about Bumgarner, you know, we really don't know. Uh, they made a run at Wheeler, but, uh, you know, family ties kept them on the post. We can't debate that. But then they went to some other options, and they went to some of those one-year, you know, low-risk moves to maybe buy some time until maybe some of the young guys were ready to throw into meaningful games this summer. We are talking to the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. Corey, do you believe the thought of the juice balls last season gave the Minnesota uh, Twins that edge to break the Yankees' single-season record last year? I'm sorry, you cut out there. The, the, the start of the question was what? Oh, do you believe the thought of the juice balls last season gave Minnesota the edge to break the Yankees' single-season home run record? No, I, I think it was fair game for everybody. I think the ball was certainly off. You know, I, I think that yeah, the ball was different, and I think hitters took advantage. And I think you saw. I you know I had the number in spring training, but uh, I don't have it now. But there were so many teams that broke their own single-season home run record. You know, I, I forgot what it was. It was a handful of teams that just broke their own, you know, single-season record. I think it was seven. By I think it was seven. So, was it seven? Okay. So, yeah, so there's seven teams that did that, which is which is saying something. But the ball was, 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 was just not right. It was something that was off with it. You know, and I was asking some of the pitchers in spring training if they felt like was the ball any, any different, and many of them said no. So I was surprised by that because I thought that MLB was going to look at the ball. I remember MLB owns Rawlings, but I thought that I thought they were going to look at the ball and maybe make some modifications. But perhaps that was going to be more regular season than, than spring training. But I, I think I think everybody, if you had some hitters, I think everybody took advantage of the ball last year, and I think we saw that with the offense throughout the game. Staying with that home run record, they hit 307 last season, including five with 30 or more. Do you think that record for the Twins is currently safe? Or do you think it could be a risk again with home runs progressively going up each season? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't unless they, unless we find out early on, you know, that the ball is, is different. I think that's a record that, that maybe will not last too long. I mean, if the, you know, the Yankees, you know, get everybody healthy and they have Stan, they have Judge, they have all those guys ready to go. I mean, they certainly could do it, and they're not alone. I mean, the Twins added some thump too with Josh Donaldson, but you know. I, that, that's what I was kind of curious to see early on the first month or so of the season had started that time. You know, the home run pace 
Would it be comparable to 2019? Would we get any kind of idea, okay, that the pace has gone down, then I think we would have seen more written and studied about the ball, and then it would have been fascinating to hear about, you know, what the hitters or more the pitchers, or how they just feel. Uh, do, they, do they get a sense that something does feel differently when they grip the baseball as opposed to the prior season? Corey, I read a lot of baseball magazines, and one of the magazines I read is uh, called the Ballpark Digest, and they rate Minnesota's farm system 22nd in the league. Do you feel they are wrong, or are they right? I think that's 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 high. I haven't seen it like that in a long time. Now, remember, the Twins in like 2000, probably 14, 15, maybe 13, they, they were top three, top five. And a lot of those guys graduated. That's, you know, Buxton and Barrios and Rosario and Kepler and Sano. Um, you know, those are some of their, their key guys. There, a lot of the Twins' top, top prospects were either hurt last year or just didn't have a good year. So I think with that, I think their national outlook may be dropped a little bit. But Alex Kirilov, go back and look at his numbers in, in 2018. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in, in, in minor league baseball. But he had a wrist injury last year that kept him out. It was really bothering him. It was one that he tried to play through and didn't work out. So his numbers didn't get it. So was, was all right. You know, Royce Lewis, another guy that was coming off an injury. He had no quick injury early in camp. Never saw him in spring training at 19. So his season didn't go very well. But then he won the fall league MVP, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in the fall after the season. That, so I, I, they have some really good guys. I have not seen... That, you know, those guys know what they're doing. Those men and women that study the modern league, they know what they're talking about. But I've not seen, you know, the Twins view that high. I think they have a, they still have a top 10, top 12 farm system of the game right now. We are talking to the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. Corey, with the Twins' problems against the Yankees in the playoffs, do you think this year would be different if they meet in the playoffs? I would hope they wouldn't be scared. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would hope that they would wouldn't be like, oh, we don't want to go there again because, look, you know, I, I love going there. I mean, I love going there for a playoff game. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's loud. It's raucous. It's, it's fantastic. I think it's a great atmosphere. And, yeah, it's hard to win there. The, the, the fans are intense and they're into it. But, I, man, I, I loved it. As a, you know, I, yeah, I wanted the Twins to win. But, but, man, it was so great to be there for that moment. Even in 17, you know, for the wild card game, you know, growing up and you know, watching Yankee games on TV, and I'm from Chicago, but just watching the Yankees on TV, and you'd often see that big hit, and you just watching it, you'd see the stadium shake, right? It just looked like it was moving. Watching it on, I'm watching it on TV, and then in 17 of the wild card game, when when Didi Gregorius with the game tying home run of Urban Santana early in that game, I, I felt it. I got to see the, the Yankee stadium shake. That I remember watching on TV when I was uh, when I was younger. So I, I think the Twins, if they get that chance, they'd be able to welcome that chance. I think Barrios would love to pitch on that stage again. I think the offense would love to pitch on that stage again or to bat on that stage again. Yeah, I, I would think that uh, the young bullpen guys that were out there for the very first time, I think Rogers and Duffy and May and Stashak, they would love that chance to, to, to make amends if they get that opportunity. In addition to Twins broadcasting, you've also done some college basketball in your career as well, particularly with Big Ten Network. And Big Ten had a big year for college basketball this year. Team Analysts were talking about maybe eight or nine teams in the tournament. Obviously, that didn't happen. Do you think that kind of success is sustainable for the whole conference as a whole next year? 
you know, it's so hard because it's just so prevalent to see, you know, you know, guys leave after one year. So I, I think that that stuff is always, it can always change. And, you know, a lot of the, the big hitters are, are deferring to the draft. Now, some are signing with agents, some are not. You know, uh, you know, Lucas Garza, uh, maybe the best player in the country last year, forget the Big Ten. Uh, you know, that's a guy that with Iowa that declared for the draft, but, but he's not ruling out coming back. That'd be great for the conference. But, you know, Minnesota here in town, Daniel Oturu was an amazing player. He declared for the draft. He's probably a first-round pick. Um, so some elite talent that the Big Ten had last year, of course, Cassius Winston. Uh, he graduated. I think Jalen Smith with Maryland declared for the draft. So some of the, the top elite talent uh, in the Big Ten is, is not going to return. The majority of them will probably, you know, you know, keep their, their hopes and dreams of playing professionally going. So it's hard to say what it's going to look like. I think there's going to be some really good teams coming back. You know, Illinois, there were teams this year that I just thought it was going to be a great story to see Rutgers be in the tournament for the first time since, what, 91. Illinois with that team. I think Illinois was a sleepy good tournament team that that could make a run. I just think that the parity in the Big Ten, there have been some years where, you know, there's some top heavy dogs. There's some top bench heavyweight and you know, the top two teams, whether it's Wisconsin, Michigan State, and they're just they're they're better than everybody else, but not last year. That that was a year where, you know, if the bracket, you know, came out and say that the Big Ten had nine or ten teams there would probably be a lot of the good Big Ten teams that probably would have gone as like seven, eight, or nine seeds just based on, you know, their record and based on other teams getting in. But I think you know, they were, to me, seven, eight, nine, ten seeds that could probably make a run and knock off some ones and some two seeds uh, early on. In the tournament, they were just that good. I think Maryland was an awesome team last year. So it, it really would have been great to see the Big Ten show off uh, it, it, it's it's just class and the talent that they had throughout the year. If uh, if we got a chance to see March Madness, we are talking to the voice, the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. Corey, let me ask you this question: You right now, when you look at the NBA and the transition of the game, do you believe the NBA is giving high school kids a way out of college, and does it hurt the team's recruiting for the future? You know, I saw that. I, I saw. I'm not a big NBA fan. I just, I mean, I grew up a, a Bulls fan. I grew up in Chicago, but I just, you know, my young kids I have to pick my spots when I when I can watch my sports. And so I don't watch too much of the NBA. But I saw that. Well, you guys need to know more about this than I do. I saw that headline today. Something about the G League may offer a path uh, for, for for younger players to maybe play and then try out their their time there if they don't want to go uh, to college right away or they're kind of unsure. You know, I, I think that, that the two-way contract, and I remember asking this with, with some of the college coaches last year, that the two-way deal that, that's out there now in the NBA and, and the cheating and the league, and Amir Coffey is an example with Minnesota, you know, he signed a two-way deal with the Clippers, and he got a chance to play and make some money. It's good for him. Um, but, you know, if, if that two-way deal did not exist, you know, I wonder if that would change the outlook on – on some of the upper classmen leaving early. That, you know, I just wonder if a guy like Amir would have come back for a senior year. And maybe we've seen more of that. Uh, you know, does Nick Ward come back at Michigan State? And I think there were some like 87 players that opted to leave, hoping to get that, that two way deal, and that didn't even happen. 
So I just think that that, that opened up an avenue to maybe pursue your NBA dreams, your professional dreams. Realistically, it probably isn't there. So I've always said that I would like something to be done that, you know, even if a player hires an agent and don't be drafted and it's not there, why, why can't we allow that kid to get back into college? If you if you document what you what you took in financially, I know there's some loopholes with that, but if they could somehow document that, it would at least provide the chance for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid who got some really bad information from a family member or a friend about, you know, his chances of really playing professionally. I don't think that the road should end just because of one mistake that, that maybe he made at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old. I think that that's unfair. So I'd like to see something corrected with that, you know, to kind of give that, that collegiate player a chance to maybe go back, even if he did sign with an agent, hopefully pursuing some NBA dreams. But again, they happen down the road. Corey, more big college basketball news recently, obviously with the tournament being gone, is the transfer portal being very active. And now you don't have to sit out a year. It's an instant impact transfer portal. You can play right away. Are you in favor of that new system, or do you think that transfers should have to still sit out a year? You know, I, I, it's a good question, and I just think tampering becomes such a big part of it. And, you know, the, the whole transfer portal, it's, it's an interesting process where, you know, that the coaches kind of, they don't really find out from the player. You know, do you guys know how this works? That the player, it's some like online, you know, form and website uh, you mm-hmm. know, that they go to and they just fill out their name and then they enter it. Then that school's compliance office receives that name. And then by rule or maybe it's a policy, then from the compliance office, they contact the coach of that university with that team to let the coach know that, hey, your player uh, put his or her name in the transfer portal. It, it's just kind of a... That, that process seems a little slimy and a little – I just I just think that that's not, not the way it should, it should be done. So, you know, I, I, I'm all for guys getting a chance. I'm all for guys. You know, I'm all for – I'm more in favor of if, if there's coaching changes, whether a coach got fired or a coach left, I'm all for then if a player wants to leave that school because his coach either got fired or he took a job. Say it was a – it was a smaller D1 school, and his coach uh, went on a big tournament run. He sees every year, right? Where a 15 feet, 14 feet goes on a run, and then that following season, the coach signs with a, with a power five school. You see that. If, if a coach leaves the program, then to me, I have no problem with, with the player departing and trying to play at another school, immediate eligibility that following season. That, to me, seems more practical than just, you know what? You know, the coach lied to me, or I'm not getting the playing time, or I don't like the system. If, if there's not a lot of coaching turnover, then to me, I'm not sure if I would go down that road. We are talking to the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis. Corey, last question for me. I know you follow the NFL, and I know the draft is right around the corner. It's two days away. Who is your number one standout in the NFL draft right now? And if he is your number one standout, is he – the closest thing to a sure thing coming out of the draft. Well, I mean, I mean, Joe Burrow to me, and I, I remember at the combine talking about the size of his hands, and I think he had a tweet about that. You know, I thought he played it off, you know, pretty well. I mean, Joe. I mean, watching the SEC last year and watching Joe Burrow, I mean, he, what's not to like? I mean, I, I don't know. I thought the story we talked about the last question last second about. You know, moving on and then work ethic, and Joe Burrow is that. I mean, I just worked 
really hard to become who he is. So to me, you know, I, I, I don't know Joe Burrow, never met the guy, but I love, I love his story. And to me, I'd like to see him succeed. So, you know, is he a lock? No, I'm not going to say that. But, I mean, I, I think that Joe Burrow, if he, if he goes number one and it doesn't work out, to me, I'm never going to, to call it a bus. I think that's not, not fair. I think Joe Burrow is, is, is something that, that I think a lot of teams would love to have right now. And to me, he left college at the right time, at the top of the game, and why not take a shot and a good shot at that, selecting him number one. College football playoffs expansion has been something that's been talked about a lot. Athletic directors want to expand it to six, eight, 16 teams. Are you in favor of the college football playoff expansion? And if so, how many teams do you think will be best? Absolutely. More yeah, I just I love college football. I do. I just hate the way it ends. <laughs> I've never been a big fan of great. You win a December thirtieth bowl game. Well, what does it mean? You don't advance on anything. You get a fancy trophy to put in your trophy case in your lobby of your small building, and maybe that's great for recruits and all that stuff. And to me, you keep playing. You move on. You win something. You keep playing until you lose. So you win it all. What have you? So yes, I'm all I'm all for. Expansion. I'm all for, you know, having more teams in and having. I just, to me, as a college football fan, I've never been one to be like, "Oh, great, we're going to the, we're going to the uh, Liberty Bowl, we're going to the Wheaton Bowl, we're going to the Monte Car Center Bowl." Look, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know why you can't have both, and it's going to leave some teams out, some smaller schools and conferences get penalized for that, and that's that's just you know the nature of the beast. It's not fair, but. That's just how it is. And I would love to see whether it's 16 teams, whether it's 8 teams, whether it's 12 teams. I, I don't know that there's a magic number, but to me, the more the merrier. I'd love to see if you can have your bowl games. Those can also be you know, playoff games. You can have your playoffs and your bowls, but they, they lead to something. So I, I just, I, I just, I've always been bothered by college football the way it ends because I love it so much. It's such a fascinating sport, but, you know, keep playing. You know, you win something on December 25th. And you get a trophy. To me, I've never really understood. Like, okay, that's great, but, but what does it mean? I, I have never been a, never really understood that. Corey, have you tuned into any new TV shows or movies since you've been home? Yeah, well, we bought it on uh, the Tiger King, uh, you know, parade, and uh, boy, that that was some show. And <laughs> I had no idea, you know, from some bigger cities. But I, I, I lived in the South for a long time. I lived in small towns. And, in uh, North Carolina and in Virginia, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, I just never even pondered the idea that at any stop along my career in, in Milwaukee or Chicago or you know, <laughs> near Minnesota, for all I know, down the street, you know, uh, people I, that I don't know, but they have some property, and they have you know, 10 lions and cats and you know, monkeys, and I, it makes me think about when I'm driving around. I'm like, I wonder if they have any animals on this property. Maybe it's not just horses, maybe it's something else. It's, I would never even expect it in the past. So we got into, into Tiger King and, and, you know, caught up on some of the, the shows that, that I never watched when I, was, when I just didn't end up at the time or didn't care to, like old USA shows like Suits and uh, White Collar and, and Royal Pain and those kind of shows. But uh, my, my wife and I will stumble upon uh, an old movie, you know, watch some Disney movies with my kids. And the, Breakfast uh -huh. that, the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. Come on. The Breakfast Club. Breakfast That's a classic. Great movie. Oh, Breakfast Club. So, story about that is, so you know the last scene of that movie? Yes. Where, um, where uh, oh, God, the characters put my mind. Judd, uh, the main character. Uh, John Bender. Hey, 
I guess you can't blame him for getting his name right now. But anyway, so the main kid, the last scene of the movie when he pumps his fist in the football field. Right. That was, that was where my high school foot team played. Really? Uh huh. Parts of that movie were filmed in suburban Chicago. And that uh, football field is uh, Highland Park High School, uh, their football field. So uh, that, that, uh, that last shot was uh, my high school football field. Some wow. Corey Provis, really, wow. trivia. That's mm-hmm. trivia for yeah. us. So we can use that the next time we get you on the show. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. I can't believe I forgot his name. Judd, Judd Nelson. Nelson. That's right. That's right. Well, Corey, why don't you tell the fans how they could find you all over social media? You know, uh, my Twitter is the best place to reach me. And I know if I can't advertise one thing on your show, we're doing something really cool right now awesome. here in, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, it's called uh, Feed the City's Voices Minnesota Sports. All the teams in town. Uh, the Twins, the, the Vikings, the Wild, the Wolves, the Lynx, uh, all the the United, the soccer teams, all the teams, most of the announcers or reporters from those teams are all doing something really cool right now throughout the state. It's a program running through April 29th, and if you have a smartphone, you download the app called Cameo. Uh, you can learn more about it at bookcameo.com, and you just type in our names or you type in the teams. And for a $30 donation, and all the proceeds are going to three great causes, uh, United Way, uh, Second Harvest Heartland here in Minnesota, also the Boys and Girls Club of Minnesota, all the proceeds are going uh, to those charities right now who desperately need support. So and, and what you do on Cameo is you ask for, hey, you know, my friends, uh, you know, having a tough time right now. It's just a shout-out. It could be a birthday greeting, could be an anniversary, it could be an engagement, could be what have you, a baby announcement. Uh, it's just it's a great way for us to show about, and it's really cool to do that. So you can just type my name uh, on the Cameo app or any of the announcers throughout the state. They're all great. Uh, men and women have really been uh, jumping at the chance to do this. So if you can uh, help out, that that means a lot. So you just type my name, Corey Provis, but on Twitter, uh, it's my last name, Provis PXC at Gmail. I'm sorry, it, uh, that's my handle, Provis PXC. Uh, no, I'm sorry. My handle is my name. Corey Provis <laughs> is, uh, is my name. I only gave out my email. But uh, Corey Provis is, uh, is my name on Twitter. So by all means, check me out on that. But if you can, check out Cameo. And any, any little bit helps right now. Well, I will do you a favor. When when we're done with the show, I will call you. You get me all the information. We'll post it all over our social media. We'll have our social media people post it all over social media. And our website so uh whatever help whatever help we can give you we will give you and and by the way Corey, we want you to follow our app our app just came out i don't know if you have an android it will be coming on ios the worldwide sports radio network app which has just come out on on android and it will be out on ios very very soon i don't know if you have an apple but if you don't and you have a droid you can download the app you can listen to all our shows read all our stories um, we would really love the support from all the people, all the analysts, and even the fans around the country. Sure. I'm more than happy to. More than happy to <laughs> thank you. Be my pleasure. Corey, thank you for joining us, my friend. All right, guys. You guys take care, stay safe, and uh, thanks for what you're doing. Absolutely. Corey Provis, and if you guys don't know him, the voice of the Minnesota Twins. Great interview. Gave us some good insight, not only in college basketball, college football, but also baseball and his Minnesota Twins. When we come back, we are going to get into Rob Gronkowski talk. Yes, he was just traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When we come back, we will get into conversation about that. That's for sure. Here on Down to the Wire. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
You're, 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 you're listening, listening to Down to, Down to the, the Wire, Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, I love this track. Yes. Who doesn't like corn? I mean, I, I, I definitely listened to all their music when I was in, when I was 15, 16 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, and I, I love Limp Bizkit, too. So, Jonathan Davis, Corn, Freak on a Leash, if you guys don't know this track. Very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Very popular in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, great track. Great album. So, there you go. 631-965-4990. This is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in New York, Long Island, New York. We are the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and as you know, you can follow us on our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I'm here with my co-host and producer, Speedy Petey, who is just a terrifying, annoying person half the time. But he's sitting right next to me, and he smells a little bit, but I'm enjoying him uh, sitting right next to me as we speak. And I want to give a shout-out to our last guest, who really gave us some really good insight and as you guys know, Corey was a fantastic guest, and he had a good time. He had a lot of fun with us, so I'm looking forward to getting him on the show again. So, Speedy, um, it was a great interview. Absolutely. Definitely a good interview. A lot of detailed answers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I do want to get into this Gronkowski story. And it, before the show even started, there was uh, stories coming out of New England that the Patriots were trading Rob Gronkowski, yes, the retired Rob Gronkowski to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am not surprised. I don't want to hear it from the Beave or anybody or Jeff telling me, well, you see, I told you he was going to come back. I knew he was coming back. If he was going to come back, he wasn't coming back with the New England Patriots. And obviously there's more insight that's coming that is going to come and backlash will come from the New England Patriots. And I would love to know why. Uh, Gronkowski is coming back this year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he didn't come back last year with the New England Patriots, with Tom Brady and with that team. Uh, really, uh, Super Bowl championship team for all those years. I was very surprised Gronk didn't come back last year, and he's coming back possibly this year with the Buccaneers. So. I think there was something with the roster where they couldn't sign him after like week 15 or something like that, so they couldn't have him at that point be on the playoff roster. And I don't think they wanted to wear his body out during the regular season either with the, the amount of injuries he's accumulated. Also with Gronk, and I, and you have to look at Gronk in in the big picture right here. And yes, if, if you want to look at Rob Gronkowski's numbers and his career, the, he has fantastic numbers. He has over 70 touchdowns, seven over 7,000 yards. But in the last three seasons, and go look at his last three seasons, he's never played a full season in the last three years. And the last time he really played a full season was his second year of his career in the NFL in 2011, where he had 17 touchdowns and he had his best year, 1,300 yards. This is a guy that's injury prone. He never stays on the field, ever stays on the field. He's had elbow problems. He's had knee problems. He's had ankle problems. And he's had toe problems. This is a guy that lost 35 pounds in the offseason last year of muscle. To gain that weight back, not only is he going to have to train really, really hard, he's going to have to put more time than he's ever put in. Because remember, this is a guy that's over 30 now. He's not in his 20s anymore. And in the NFL, once you hit that 30 mark, you become an old veteran. You're no longer a young player, believe it or not, especially a tight end. Besides Jason Witten or Tony Gonzalez, 
a lot of these tight ends, after they hit the age of 30, 31, they're not the same players. A lot of recent ones, too, have gotten hurt at younger ages, too, because they're bigger guys running faster in a more faster-paced NFL. And why would Tampa bring in another tight end when they have O.J. Howard and, and who's the other guy? Cameron Brait. And Cameron Brait, who had a good season last year, especially in the first half of the season. And well, they start on a lot of other teams, too. It doesn't make any sense why they would bring in another tight end unless they're thinking about trading O.J. Howard. Now, if they trade O.J. Howard, or are they bringing in somebody like Gronkowski to help the blocking of that offensive line, which has been really, really bad for the last couple of years? This is their weakness of their offense, is their offensive line. Maybe they're bringing Gronk in for that extra guy on the field that can help block for Tom Brady. But O.J. Howard's a good blocker, so that doesn't make sense either. (laughs) Well, why don't you ask that to Bruce Arians that decided to make this move for a fourth-round draft pick and a possible seventh depending on how far they get into the playoffs. So they're going to get two picks for a guy that hasn't played in almost two years. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. Now, yes, it's Rob Gronkowski, and it's a big name, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bringing him in gives them uh, um, a thought of a one-two punch where Tom Brady understands how Gronk plays. He has a player that has played with him for over eight or nine years where he can actually he can use him as a blanket. But he's got weapons like O.J. Howard. He's got that wide receiving core who I have, to me, they have one of the most underrated wide receivers in football. Two of the most underrated. No, the most, I, I believe, the most underrated player in football at the wide receiver position. But this is a team that is a growing team. And there's still te- this is still a team that has weaknesses. More weaknesses than uh, strengths to this team. As good as their defense looked last year, especially on the run, this is a team that had problems in pass protection. They did last year. They had problems. They didn't have JJ they didn't have um Jason Pierre-Paul. J- Jason Pierre-Paul last year. They didn't have the pass rushers you've seen Tampa Bay have over the years, the, the ones that they've grown and, and built from their farm system, from their, from their draft. Shaq Barrett led the league in sacks, but can you expect him to duplicate that again? We'll see. I think this team, and, and I listen, I think that this team is very well built in the way Bruce Arians wants to build his team. The problem with Bruce Arians, and Bruce Arians will tell you, is the offensive line is the one that controls and stabilizes the quarterback and helps the quarterback get the ball out to places that he can't get the ball out if he's not protected. And right now, if you look at this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, this is one of the top three, top four worst offensive lines in football. Yeah, they're decent interior-wise, but they really need tackles badly. This is a bad offensive line. I don't care what you say, how good their interior is. Last year, they were amongst the league's worst in every single offensive line category. And right tackle, left tackle, or no tackle, this is still a very bad offensive line. And you put a non-mobile quarterback behind that line, that will be scary for a quarterback that's going to be 44 years old. To me, it doesn't bode well, especially in a division where there's good pass rushers. And a, a division in the NFC where there are better pass rushers and better teams than they are in the AFC. So um, adding Gronkowski, it does give a little flair. It gives a little positive notion on what uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be with Gronk and O.J. Howard and, and the weapons that they have. But it could also hurt the team because now you, you, you think – you think if you were O.J. Howard and you were a top draft pick, what was it, three years ago, four mm-hmm. years ago, and then you go out and bring in Gronkowski where it makes no sense. O.J. Howard was just figuring things out 
as a player, especially in the Bruce Arians offense, in the second half of the season, now all of a sudden you're bringing in another tight end, another guy that you need to feed the ball to because you know he's going to want the ball. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Yeah, and you're, the other thing, too, is I think they sink his trade value more by doing this because Howard had a rough year last year, so his trade value... if The they second were gonna, half was better than the first half. Right, but still, he had a bad year where that's still going to sink his trade value as it was. So if you were thinking of trading him and implementing Breit as the primary number one guy, which he's definitely a number one tight end, he can start on a lot of teams... Howard was going to get traded. Maybe you could have gotten maybe a third round pick out of it because he's still a young player. He's still an athletic player. But now you're you're going to make him mad by doing this, in which we've seen with a lot of players that downgrades trade value as as its own. And also, t- other teams know that you're at this point kind of desperate to trade him, where that's going to hurt his trade value as well. So, if I were the Buccaneers, I would have tried to maybe do something where they make the Gronk trade after the OJ Howard trade. Maybe in light of it, because the rumors were already coming out. Jameis Winston was the one. The value. Jameis Winston was the one that was throwing him the ball. He was the one that was handling uh, the quarterback position last year. Now you have Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and he loves to throw the ball to tight ends, wide receiving tight ends that are fast on the outside that can make every single catch inside and out. And OJ Howard could do that. I think OJ Howard would have. An absolutely great season with Tom Brady behind the you know behind the the line of scrimmage. I really do believe that. Jameis Winston is not a top quarterback. He hasn't been a top quarterback since the day he was the number one draft pick, and that's why he's no longer with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You bring in Tom Brady, who again worked with some of the best tight ends we've seen in NFL history. We're talking about Aaron Hernandez. Hate him or love him, and he's dead now. Aaron Hernandez, when he was in the league, he was one of the best tight ends in football. And then you have Gronk, who some people compare to Tony Gonzalez, to Jason Witten, uh, with his statistics the way they have been in the last 9 or 10 years with the Patriots. So in my eyes, you look at O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard fits like a glove with Tom Brady's offense and what they want to do offensively. I don't understand this move. I know it's Rob Gronkowski. I know everybody's going to say, well, it's Rob Gronkowski. Why would you get? Why would you not make this move? You're giving up a fourth-round draft pick. Right. And you're giving up a seventh, depending on how far they go. And they're going to go, they're going to make the playoffs. So they're probably going to, yes, it's a seventh-round draft pick, and who cares about a seventh-round draft pick? It's still a seventh-round draft pick. So you're giving up two picks to a guy for a guy that hasn't played in two years. A fourth-rounder, even though it probably won't be a star. It could be a starter in your secondary. It could be corner depth, pass rush depth. It could be need. a star. It, it could, could be a star. It could be an offensive lineman that, even if it's not great, is better than what they have, too. So that pick could have been valuable to fill other areas where they're already strong with offensive skill players for the most part, with the exception of running back. They don't need to just add more overload like that. I think I, I think it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. I don't understand what Bruce Arians is doing. And now you're bringing in a guy that's going to demand the ball. He's going to want the ball. And I know what you're going to say. I know what everybody's going to say. Well, you never have enough offense. Well... You're adding Gronk to that offense, a guy that you know Tom Brady loves to give the ball to. And now if Gronk is coming back from retirement, you know he's coming back and he expects to play. So to me, it makes no sense. Are you going to play three tight ends at the same time? Does that make any sense? No, because then you don't play Godwin and you can't do that either. (laughs) Yeah, It doesn't make any sense. None of this makes sense unless they're planning to trade O.J. Howard or Brait, one of those guys, mm-hmm. and, and keep Gronk. But remember, Gronk is only going to play probably a year. 
a year. Because I don't even think he's going to gain 40 to 35 pounds of muscle this offseason, especially when there's no OTAs, there's really no workout plans right now because we don't know what's going on with the coronavirus. So you, you really don't know what to expect going into the season, and now you're bringing in a guy that's barely played for two years. It makes no sense. The only thing that maybe with that, maybe Arians would want to make him a speed tight end and maybe they'll take a gamble on it anyway, even if he doesn't gain back that muscle, though, either. Again, I don't know what Bruce Arians is thinking. I don't know what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are thinking. But obviously, they made this move before the draft because now they can implement what they want to do uh, moving forward in the draft. You bring in Gronkowski. You have a blocker now, a guy that is a very good, consistent blocker. Now you maybe don't have to go after a tackle in the first round. Maybe, I would still. I know you say you would, but maybe he's thinking something else. Maybe he really wants to make this defense a uh, top-end defense because, you know, defense wins championships when it comes to the playoffs. And maybe they, they feel that they might have deficiencies in certain areas of their defense where they can implement it in through the draft. True, so, but it is a deep enough corner draft, too, where I think they can get somebody in the second round later. Whereas unless one of those four tackles are gone in the first round, I can't see them passing on it with now an immobile quarterback in Tom Brady, who's 43 years old, and again, a system for... Arians that has been more oriented on those pocket quarterbacks. If I was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I was a fan right now, and I know everybody's probably sitting here right now and Jeff's probably laughing. <laughs> I get to watch uh, Tom Brady and Gronkowski play here in Tampa for a whole season. I don't know if you're going to get the chance to see them because I don't even know if you're going to be able to see them playing in front of fans, but right. you might have the opportunity to see Gronk, but how much are you going to see a Gronk? And if Gronk doesn't touch the ball early in the season, which he is going to demand the ball, is there going to be problems on the sidelines with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady? Because Tom Brady, over the years with Bill Belichick, we have seen the arguments he's had on the sidelines with Bill Belichick. We've seen the arguments he's had with players on the sideline. And now you're adding him to a team with with a, a new coach, a new defensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator, a new offense with a, a very lacklustered offensive line that we don't even know what is going to what it what it's going to be. And you really don't know what the running game is going to be this year. Nope. You have no idea where the running game is going. I was hearing Freeman going over there. Now I'm hearing that Freeman possibly is going somewhere else. He's going to wait until the draft, and then he's going to decide if he's going to go to a veteran team that has a championship uh, contending option, or or he might go to a team that's going to pay him the most money. And I don't think the Buccaneers could do either. So you stick it to Atlanta like that? You just do that? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I, there's a lot of deficiencies in this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. As much as they have Tom Brady there and now Gronkowski, and where all the Patriot fans are going to say, you know what, if the Patriots don't make the, win the playoffs, we're going to root on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I can guarantee you, Patriot fans are going to do that. If the Patriots do not make the playoffs this year with, with all the losses and the acquisitions they did not make in the offseason, I could see Patriot fans slowly but surely going over there and rooting for the Buccaneers. And to me, the Buccaneers are still... There are so many indeficiencies with this team that you don't notice because all you can see is Tom Brady behind the line of scrimmage. That's all you care about. And the weapons that they have offensively. There's no offensive line. They have weaknesses in their secondary, which they had last year. And even though their offense played well in the second half last season with Jameis Winston, this is still a 43-year-old quarterback that's moving 
that moved to Tampa Bay from New England for almost 20 years being over there and going to a new coach, new team, new offense, new everything, and you, you want to bring in a guy like Gronk because it gives you that, that thought that you have a blanket, you still have a guy there that understands how you play and how you make your throws. But again, this is not the same Tom Brady that we saw for almost 20 years with the New England Patriots. Well, again, is it a blanket, though, for Gronk, or are they bringing him in to be a dynamic player, too? Because when you think of security blanket tight ends, you think of a guy that's going to go five yards down the uh, and then stop. Gronk wasn't like that either, so that's not even going to be his role, which is very interesting. Well, too. again, I think Gronk is going to play a role that we wouldn't expect him to play with this offense and with this team, because I think Bruce Arians is going to change the offensive style of game that Tom Brady has known and, and has seen over the years. I think it's going to be a completely different run offense. And I think Bruce Arians, who's a great offensive mind, he's one of the best yes. offensive minds in football, and we've seen what he did with the Pittsburgh Steelers over the years with the Arizona Cardinals, and now he's over there with the Buccaneers, which their offense played a lot better. Jameis Winston played a little bit better, but he still threw, threw 30 <laughs> interceptions. And he still led the league in more interceptions. He threw just as much interceptions as he did with touchdowns. I don't care if he threw 5,000 yards. I don't care. Yeah, he threw for 5,000 yards with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Braid, who are and now very you're good Gronkowski. And now you're in Gronkowski. So now you have Tom Brady there. So you would expect Tom Brady to have a better season. But again, Tom Brady has never played in an offense this particular. It's not, this, is, this is a completely different run offense. Bruce Arians' offense, are, you know, it's not the same thing as what we've seen over the years with Bill Belichick and now, what they've run over the years over there in New England. Now, the one thing that is mutual is I think both Arians' offense and the Patriots' offense have utilized a lot of pass-catching running backs. So the Bucs will have to bring in the talent for that, but they'll, they definitely could do that. And the other thing, too, is smaller receivers. We've seen speed receivers excel with the Patriots as well as with, with Tampa. And even when Arians was in Arizona, too. He made smaller guys work, which Brady's done throughout his career as well. So those are the two mutuals. But beyond that, it's it's a much more complicated offense for the most part. A lot of deeper, more intermediate routes. We'll see if Brady has the arm strength for that point. And when judging Gronk, we'll see. Why if do you can always get into routes. particulars? Why do you do that? Why do you do that when we're talking about particular things? We don't need to hear what you think statistically as a head coach, if you are a head coach, what they need to do and how open Gronk needs to be or what Gronk needs to do on the field. I, I could care less. An honest, My honest standpoint to this is going into the draft and now the trade market and with all the particular with the virtual drafting and it could be complications with the virtual drafting, do these teams decide now to make the trades before the draft? And now you're seeing Gronkowski getting traded. Are you going to see more teams start to make trades before Thursday because of the whole virtual situation with the NFL and how many kinks that they're going to have in the armor going into this year's uh, virtual draft? I don't think so because I think Draft trades are still something that you still look at within the draft more than anything else. I mean, if there's something obvious like Miami trading up or the Chargers trading up for a quarterback, okay. But again, a lot of times it's also play it by ear, too. You have to adjust to what these other teams do. If the Chargers, for example, trade up with the Giants and they're expecting to get a quarterback and then Miami jumps them for that quarterback, what are they going to do then? Did they just did it just to do it earlier to avoid the technology? It doesn't make any sense to me. You still play the trades by ear, and you don't want to gamble on assets of your own draft just because of technology issues. And what kind of trades are these teams going to make, being that tomorrow is Wednesday? 
we've been hearing Jacksonville is trying to trade their big pass rusher um, Nagakawe, and and there are stories coming out from New York, from the Jets and the Giants. They would be interested in Nagakawe uh, if, if it's if it's a good if it's a good move and a good switch. I could see Jacksonville trading Nagakawe and their pick for the fourth pick and get themselves their their linebacker that they want or their offensive lineman that they think. I wouldn't do that if I was Jacksonville. You're, you should be wanting to get more picks for Nagakawe, not. Trade your own first round pick when you need so many other things. Well, if you think there's a player over there at four that can change the, the, the hearts of your team and where your team is going, you add Simmons to that defense with Allen. I mean, you, you have now your future defense, your, your future front seven, your two leaders of your defense for the next 10 years. Right, but I don't think they would need to trade the first to do it, though. I think they would trade Nagakwe maybe a third and then maybe a mid-round pick next year. I think that would get They're going to have to give done. up a lot more to move up from where Nagakwe is, is probably worth a second-round pick as they're saying himself. They believe they're, he's worth the first-round draft pick. So, again, I don't think Jacksonville would need to necessarily do that. Maybe you couple him with a two because they got an extra two from the They're Rams. definitely trading him. They're definitely I know trading. that. I just don't think if they were to jump to four or early to get an elite defensive player like that, I don't think they would need to trade their ninth overall pick to do that. Maybe to deal less picks, maybe they deal their 20. But again, I don't know if they would do that either. I think they would just need to deal a second maybe or a third and then maybe couple that with some mid-round picks next year. I think they would be dumb to trade their first-round pick to do that with Nagakwe because you, you also lose value that way too. This virtual NFL thing that they're, they're bringing to the table right now on Thursday could change a lot in the NFL as we know it, as we move forward. Because if this works out, I could see the NFL doing this every other year. Why not? Because it speeds up the process and you don't have to. I know everybody's going to say, well, the NFL likes to make money. And when these fans go to these live drafts, they're making money. They I'm sure the players beers. want to do it too. Well, I, I understand that. I think the players want to get go on the stage, shake Roger Goodell. I don't know why they want to shake Roger Goodell's hands. I mean, the guy's a big scum, you know what. So why would you want to shake his his hand going up there and, and hugging this guy? This guy is going to be uh, not only a pencil or a thorn in your ass moving forward as an NFL player, because he's the one that's making the deals, and he's only trying to make deals that benefit the owners, not the players. So, again, why would you want to hug this guy? But again, if that's what they want to do, and that's what they're looking forward to doing, so do it. And if that's what's, uh, what the NFL wants to do moving forward, I just think this virtual thing, it worked for the w- WNBA the other day. If it works for the NFL and there's not that many problems or kinks, which there has been kinks in it when they've tried it out the last couple of days, and the NFL has said they're hoping that there are not problems where it's going to affect their draft and affect, affect the draft live on TV. So hopefully that doesn't happen because a lot of fans are going to complain about it. And it's going to be a big talk of the town moving forward, especially in sports radio. But I think that you're going to see a lot of trades starting tonight, as you saw Gronk, going into tomorrow. I think there will be more trades now than there will be at the draft on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So I think you'll see a lot of move and a lot of movement with some of the big names, like Ngagwe, whatever his name is. Ngagwe. Ngagwe from, from the Jacksonville Jaguars, the defensive lineman who I think is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in football. So uh, there will be teams that will be interested. Don't be so surprised if you could see, if you see the Bears somehow squeak in there, even though they made that move for Mack and they gave up so many picks for Mack. They don't, I don't think they have a first-round draft pick this No, year. I think they have... 
I think they have two twos, and then I don't think they pick until the fifth round. After I that. can see the Bears doing something like this. I can see the Bears adding another big-time pass rusher to that line to make really? them – Yes, I could see it. I could see it because, listen, I, I've said this all, all the time. It doesn't matter how many stars you have on the line, the more the merrier. And if you add – in Gagwe with, with a guy like Khalil Mack on the other side of them. It, it is a scary, scary, scary defense. It is. But we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown, here on Down to the Wire. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening, listening to Down, down to, to the, the Wire. wire. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. This is down to the wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from six p.m. to eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Why not a little limp biscuit, a little nookie? I, as you know, the words are not very, very good for the radio, so we're not going to play the words of this song. But we have our second guest of the day, ladies and gentlemen, and he is the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the great Greg Brown. What's going on, Greg? Wow, Speedy, Petey, and Arrow, what's going on? How you guys? <laughs> well, you, you want to know something. Speedy does not, well, he understands that his name, his nickname on the radio show is Speedy Petey, but his real name is Kyle Kloiber, but it sounds better off the tongue, Speedy Petey. Arrow thinks I look like the kids from Peach Dragon. <laughs> now now I know why he goes by Speedy Petey. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Errol, and we were just talking off air. I was named after Errol Flynn, who was the Robin he was uh the first Robin Hood, Captain Blood. My mom loved his movies and she kind of sat me in front of the TV when I was a kid and this is the guy you were named after. And only if you can only look as beautiful as him, you will you'll be a superstar. So there you go. <laughs> well you're on your way then I Hopefully. guess not a superstar part. <laughs> well we we can only hope we're superstars, that's for sure. I think that's a cool story, though. I really do. I don't. I don't. I will say that you're the first person I've ever met named Errol, and uh, the fact that you're named after Errol Flynn is really neat. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, Greg, let's get into some Pittsburgh uh, Pirates conversation. What kind of player can you expect the Yankees to get now that they just made that move and bringing in the three hundred twenty-five million dollar player in Garrett Cole? What kind of player can I expect the Yankees to have in Cole? Especially, yes. you mean? Yes. I mean, I I, I don't know the answer to that. I, <laughs> I know that in the last two years, he's 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 become maybe the best pitcher in baseball, arguably, certainly one of the top five. Uh, I I can't imagine he's he's going to uh, digress anytime soon, and uh, he's just you know he's he's coming to his own. He, he's the type of pitcher I think that. Uh, not just the Pirates felt, but uh, the rest of the baseball world felt we would see after several years of the big leagues. Uh, I mean, that's why he was the number one pick in the nation out of UCLA. And I think we also see that's why the Yankees drafted him initially out of high school, uh, because they saw what so many people saw in him. He's, not only does he have the, uh, the great stuff, but he's got the drive 
which, uh, you know, unfortunately too many, probably too many athletes mm-hmm. uh, or enough anyway, uh, lack that, that drive to be the best, not just to, to get to the big leagues, but to be the best there is in the big leagues. And I think that's what Cole is, a guy that's certainly driven along with that, the great stuff that he possesses uh, on the mound. Greg, one of the big moves of the Pirates offseason was trading Starling Marte to the Diamondbacks. Personally, I thought they ended up selling a little short on that. They bring in Brennan Malone, who was a first-round pick in 2019, and they bring in Liver Perguero. Uh, do you think that they sold short in this deal, or do you think that these prospects could end up working, and why? Well, I can only go on what, you know, because I knew nothing about these two guys. I'm not necessarily a, a prospect-driven broadcaster where, I, other than people in the pirate system, I try and stay abreast of, of, of how they're performing uh, <laughs> and when the pirates draft guys. But I didn't know much about either Pagaro or Malone. The only what I, what I have read since and what I've heard from others, including scouts and um you know, this is also what I hear that Ben Charrington is is a is a guy that was known as uh, someone who's unafraid to roll the dice and take some risks, and he's done that with two very young players. But the uh, the bar is is high. The the, uh, the the talent is there now. Whether the the Pirates can get out of either or both, what is expected of them, uh, is is you know, time will tell. I think they were both 19 at the time. Um, I had heard uh, actually from the former Pirates general manager himself, uh, Neil Huntington. Um, I, I had a long uh, lunch with him uh, maybe a month after he was let go by the team, and it was at, it was shortly after. Might have been the day of, in fact, it was wow. the day. It was the day the Pirates traded Sterling Marte to the Diamondbacks. <laughs> And uh, we were at a, a sports restaurant, and uh, it was on uh, a, a graphic came up that the Pirates had traded Marte for these two guys. And Neil Huntington said, you know, that's we were tossing around whether to draft him last year or the guy that we did, which uh, Quinn Priester, I guess it was, the other pitcher. And uh, But we thought very highly of him as well as Priester. So uh, they, they, they thought very highly of him last year. Other teams have as well. And it'll be it'll be a great trade if uh, Malone ends up being a top of the rotation guy uh, in a couple of years, and if Figueroa contributes somewhere on the baseball field in the next three or four years as well. We are talking to the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. Greg, what player stood out to you last year? And if, if he's a young player, is he the future star of the organization, or are they? looking towards the future of some of the other players in their farm system to be the next superstar. Now that you, you, we talked about Garrett Cole and Sterling Marte, is there a player right now in their farm system or on their team right now is the next superstar for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Well, they've got, they've got guys on the big league club right now that have potential to be that. And, in fact, that's why many of us, including people in the Pirates organization, we're not calling it a rebuild as, as some so-called pundits experts were. Uh, locally and nationally, that just because they traded Marte, uh, it, all of a sudden it's a rebuild. Uh, so, no, I, I believe that there are guys on the team currently. I mean, Josh Bell's first half of last year, if you guys were to go back and look at it, look at the month of May that he had. Uh, and it's really interesting once a season ends for a guy like me who's in it in the stuff every day. Um, it, it, it's, it's really hard to take enough time 
to really absorb each player's performance. You just kind of go, you ride the wave when you're a broadcaster or a writer or you cover the team on a daily basis. And you knew it was good, but to soak it all in at the end of the year over an offseason and look at that month of May, what he did, uh, you know, Ralph Kiner, the former Pirate Hall of Famer many, many years ago, and longtime Mets broadcaster, uh, he set baseball and, and pirate records uh, before. Uh, he was traded in the early 50s and uh, led the league in home runs, I think, six straight years. Josh Bell put up a month of May that would make the late Ralph Kiner blush. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible, the month of May he had, combined with the April, June, and uh, maybe first few days of July. He was on pace to have a record-setting year. Uh, I mean, a, a top 10 certainly here in all of baseball, the history I'm talking about. And uh, he admits that leading up to the All-Star break, he just he started to struggle. He started to press. But what he did over uh, up until at least the first part of July was was superstar. I mean, he, he was in the home run derby. He was in the All-Star game. Yep. And people were talking about him being the next big, next Willie Stargell. So it is there with Josh Bell. Ryan Reynolds had a great rookie year last year, one of the players the Pirates traded for, the Giants organization from uh, in the McCutcheon deal. He was he flirted with uh, the batting title up until the last couple weeks of the year. And uh, Kevin Newman uh, finished in the top ten in hitting in the National League. The Pirates shortstop. In fact, two rookies finished in the top ten in the National League in hitting for the first time in 135-year history. Wow of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I didn't know that. So those are three guys right off the bat that, that you know, again, there are, there are pieces right now on the Major League team. And we'll see if Ben Sherrington and Derek Shelton, the new manager, can add uh, in the next couple of years, uh, can they get to a point where they are legitimate contenders? I still think if things fall right, which I believe will, you know, I think it, it if and when the season begins, we're looking at what is likely to be an abbreviated year, uh, unlikely to put a 162-game schedule into this, what will be a, a, obviously a, a short season. And I think that uh, when that comes into play, then all bets are off. I mean, a, a shortened year allows teams like the Pirates, who aren't considered necessarily top contenders, uh, to uh, maybe flirt with uh, a playoff spot. So I think it'd be an interesting year and an interesting couple of years for this organization. I don't think it's one of those things where they're tearing it down and we're five years away from contention. I just don't believe that. Greg, you actually shattered nicely into my next question. Uh, with the potentially shortened season, how do you think that could affect the development of some of those younger players? You mentioned Newman and Reynolds, who both had very good seasons last year, and then they have three top 60 prospects, too. Do you think a shortened season or a wacky season like this could affect the development? And if so, how? Well, nobody knows that answer. Nobody. Uh, and so, it's, in fact, I've been asked a lot about what I think the season's going to look like and what's baseball going to do. And I just think it's foolhardy to even make those suggestions. The one thing I will say that is fact-based is that everyone in the country, every baseball player, every baseball team, organization, minor league team, will be faced with the exact same thing. So if the development is slowed and dwarfed to a degree, 
then the Pirates are no worse off than the Red Sox, Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Astros, every team in baseball. Interesting. They'll all be, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, affected, maybe to the players' detriment, maybe not. We don't know. We've never seen anything like this. But the closest thing we've had to this particular moment in baseball history uh, as I can say, 1939, can count, right? Anyway, is, is, is 1981, when they missed uh, something like 35, something like that, 35% of the baseball season, because of a mid-season strike, uh, they, uh, the players struck, I think, in the first week in June, and they, the thing wasn't settled until uh, first week in August. And uh, so there were players from the big leagues to the low level of the minors that were impacted by that long layoff, I guess more so the, the major leagues because the, the minor leagues didn't strike. But the point being that even young players at the big league level were certainly affected by the long layoff. Uh, but, you know, we don't know. They, I don't know if we'll ever know truly what impact uh, a, a, a delay, we don't even know how long the delay will be, uh, what impact that will have on, on these players. I would think that most players, in fact, I saw Josh Bell did a video yesterday about what he's doing. I saw that. Uh, yeah, okay, so you saw he's in Pittsburgh, and he's working with whatever equipment he has, <laughs> uh, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, he's, he's, he's doing whatever, you know, everything possible that he can do and and uh, to try and stay sharp. Well, are there players or I don't know the answer to this. I would think this is not the case, but are there players just saying the heck with it? I'm not even going to do that much because my gym is shut down and I can't get to my personal trainer and I'll just wait. I find that hard to believe. These players are all driven, but maybe the guys that uh, go the extra mile in these uncertain times, maybe they end up uh, being ahead of the game when the game does resume, we'll find out. We are talking to the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. Greg, if you can tell me one thing about the Pirates fans, what would that be? One thing about the Pirates fans? One thing about uh, the Pirates fans that you either love, you hate, or you just... You talk about it because you know all about the Philadelphia fans. Here in New York, the New York fans hate Philadelphia fans. So... I, I've never been to Pittsburgh at a baseball game, so I, I've heard the stadium over there. I've never even been to um, um, PNC Park. PNC Park, which I heard is one of the nicest stadiums it is. In, in baseball. And I always wanted to go and check out the stadium over there. But how are the fans over there? Are they are they fun? Are they energetic? Are they crazy? Well, they are as energetic and as passionate as any fan base in the country. And I've said it time and time again because I've, I've had interesting roles over my many years uh, before broadcasting uh, when I went to Buffalo and did uh, minor league baseball and Buffalo Bills football. I was actually in the pirate front office for years doing some uh, broadcast directing, uh, some uh, uh, broadcast uh, coordinating, uh, some marketing, PR work. And uh, uh, most of my adult life has been... uh, as a resident of Pittsburgh, and I've said it forever, that Pittsburgh really is no different than every other fan base. That really? includes New York, includes Philadelphia, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, doesn't matter. Uh, they are uh, passionate about their sports teams, and they want the team to win. And so Pittsburgh's no different. The Pirate fans 
I said forever, guys, that at Three River Stadium for 30 years, the Pirates played from 1970 till 2000. <laughs> they played in a football stadium, 56,000 people, a bowl stadium, uh, which was great for the Steelers. But And though the Pirates drew well when they went to the playoffs in uh, 1990, 91-92, it still wasn't the same. The Pirates weren't playing in their own ballpark. And I said then, and I certainly say it now, that uh, Pittsburgh will show its true colors. The fans will, the Pirate fans will, when we play in a baseball-only ballpark <laughs> and we win. And that combination happened finally after 20 years of losing in uh, 2013 when they went to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. And that night, the wild card game of October 1st, 2013, Pirates and Reds, was uh, the coming out party for, the, for the, the town, the region, the fan base. It showed a nation what I was talking about, <laughs> that, that they loved their Pirates. They needed a place to play and they needed a winner. And uh, and it, it, so many people, even to this day, have said, and I'm talking about pedestrian fans, not hardcore, <laughs> just just uh, basic fans of, of sports, um, who went to that game that night and said it was the greatest sporting event they'd ever been to, and that includes Super Bowls and Stanley wow. Cups. Mm. That one game, wild card playoff between the Pirates and the Reds. The Pirates won that. They went on to the division series against the Cardinals. They drew well over 2 million people those three straight years when they won. And uh, so it's, it's really no different. It, it, and, and people kind of get upset sometimes when I say that, that this town is not a – they say it's a, it's a Steelers town, it's a hockey town, it's a football town. No, no, this is no different than any other city in the country. It's a winner's town. Right. People come out when your team wins. When your team loses, you have trouble filling the seats in any sport and in any city. And I have done enough research over many years to prove that point, that if you lose, and I'm talking substantially, <laughs> you're not going to have people come out and see you play. If you win, you'll come out, they'll come out and see you play. And that, that's what happened those years, and it will happen again for the Pirates. Greg, we, we know all about losing. I mean, we come from New York. Come on. Besides the Yankees, they win every, every 10 years, every five, six, seven, eight years. We have the Knicks who can't win a lick. You, you have the Giants that haven't won anything th since 2011. You have the Jets that haven't won since 1969. I mean, do you want me to go on and on and on with New York teams? How about the Mets, the Wilpons? Uh, uh, that's a joke, too. I mean, New York fans want winners, too, just like any other place, like you were just saying. And, and to me, as a New York fan... And, and really, just as an analyst, it, it bothers me when you, when you look at all these teams and all, you're, in, you're in one of the biggest cities in the world, and you can only talk about really one team of winning throughout all the sports teams that we have here in New York. So I know how you feel. Greg, I want to actually specifically... Yeah, I, I know, it's, I know it's, 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 it's awfully tough. It's awfully tough being... I mean, it, it can be tough here <laughs> when you're talking about other sports, when the, when the Penguins and the Steelers have had the run that they've had. Unbelievable. And so a lot of times fans hold that as the kind of the, the bar and set that high bar. And they say, you know, basically, you know, we, we love the Steelers and the Penguins, but the Pirates, you know, lose. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but the fact that they say it, I mean, I, I, one thing that I've been really encouraged about since this, this 
pandemic hit and we shut the game down was is following social media and and what people have been saying uh or, or blogging about or writing about or texting fans friends uh associates acquaintances uh through emails texts uh, uh zoom meetings whatever it might be <laughs> uh, sports talk shows the, the 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 fact that baseball and the pirates are so important to so many people it's there they need it they want it even even as much as they hate to admit it uh, the pirates who have not won since 2013 and who have been criticized they and their owner have been criticized by fans all over the place the fans want them back badly and i would be willing to bet the same is true in new york uh, you know i'd be willing to bet most mets fans would say give me them back right now i'll take them <laughs> Most Mets fans hate their ownership anyway, so <laughs> they're not alone there. Greg, uh, specifically mentioning that 2013 wild card game, the biggest unique thing about that was the Johnny Cueto, the heckling, all the fans were doing it. He ends up falling off the mound. It was just a whole funny experience. What was your reaction to it? Either again, I'm sure you were broadcasting it. What was your reaction to that when you first heard about that and saw it, though, at just how that all unfolded? I made a, a critical mistake. First of all, I have a one-track mind. I can't multitask, and I, I watch other broadcasters in awe as I watch them do all kinds of things. They pull out notebooks. They do it right on their scorecard. They, 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 they've got a great memory bank. My memory is awful, so I write down a bunch of stuff in my scorebook. Uh, so, you know, I, I know my limitations, and, and especially for me, it, Greg, I, I think a play is over, but I made a critical mistake of looking down and trying to read my ineligible uh, writing. Illegible. I can't. I can't. Uh, my writing is awful. My my <laughs> penmanship. And I'd written something down on a scorebook, and I took too long. And by the time I looked back up, uh, the ball was on the ground, and I heard a reaction of the crowd. <laughs> I didn't know what happened, uh, and so it, when Cueto goes down to pick it up. I was on the radio broadcast. Of course, it's a national telecast. TBS was doing the national telecast, so we were radio only that night uh, for our, our network. And I then kind of recovered and realized what had happened. He had dropped the ball. I didn't know why, but I, I, I said something like, oh, I kind of chuckled then after trying to figure that out. Oquato had dropped the ball when he had gone into uh, his stretch. And the very next pitch, Martin hits the home run. And I got so caught up in the in the play. I mean, some and and I understand the criticism of of me. My style is is one of of being maybe maybe too much of a fan, uh, which I, again I understand that criticism. Uh, there's a, there's a fine line there. But I, a friend of mine is a, a longtime hockey broadcaster for the Penguins. My mentor, uh, Mike Lang, when I first came on board, always he said, "Don't ever be a fake. People can telephony." You don't try and be someone you're not. You got to be who you are. So anyway, the point being that Martin hits his home run, and I went into the. You know, Martin was born just outside of Montreal. He grew up. He's French speaking. He uh, he speaks French, and and his uh, anyway. Uh, that's part of his heritage. And and I went into kind of a French accent <laughs> after he had homered. I get I just got caught up in this crate like it was, and, and and I hadn't heard that call for a long time until about. Two weeks ago, our radio flagship has been playing classic games, and they played that game. And I happen to be driving around. Uh, this is way this actually just before kind of the stay-at-home 
orders had been issued by our governor. And uh, so I was listening on the radio and heard that call, and I just I wanted to turn it off. I was cringing uh, because, I, I, again, I wanted this kind of French accent, but uh, I really was, again, caught up in it, as were so many people. And then from that point forward, and to this day, people have talked about this Cueto game. And they, they talk about how they were there. It seems like there were 2 million people there that night now who saw Cueto drop the ball. And, it was, and, and fans believe that it was they who created this situation that forced Cueto to drop the ball and then deliver a pitch, a home run ball. To Russell Martin, so it's kind of like it. it uh, as time goes on, it kind of lives on in Pirates lore. We are talking to the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. Well, Greg, what are your thoughts of baseball implementing the DH to the National League? You guys did your research, didn't you? <laughs> yes, we have, my friend. Yes, we have. You knew. You knew, you knew the. You knew the one thing that would. <laughs> <laughs> Raise my Irish ire. Uh, well, obviously, you know my feelings about the DH. Of course, I, uh, but my fans don't. Uh, I, it, it, it's, it's gotten to the point where uh, I've had I've had some higher ups in the organization sit me down and tell <laughs> me, you know, you really got to calm down with this thing. <laughs> but but I, as I've told them, and I've, I've tried to tell fans on either face to face or on Twitter, those that that love the DH that want it and that, that uh, get angry at me for doing the hashtag ban the DH and passionately defending National League Baseball. Uh, the reason I am so passionate about it is because I do believe it's a different game. And I believe the National League is a better game. Yeah. I grew up on the National League and, and I've had, I've had our, our flagship station. I do a weekly show on our flagship station in Pittsburgh and the two hosts have have called me the, the the old man that says get off my lawn. That guy, <laughs> uh, you know, get with the times, Greg. Um, and I I just vehemently disagree with that. And I I defend National League baseball, and I hear all the arguments for the DH. But um, I've watched enough American League baseball now that we have interleague play. I've actually broadcast games in American League cities, and. I, I am more convinced than ever National League ball is better than American League ball. Um, and there are, it's so involved. It's more than a two-minute phone conversation or, a phone, uh, or an interview on a radio station. To, to truly understand the importance and how great a game the National League is, you have to appreciate the game itself. And, and its roots. And I think too often baseball has gotten away from its roots. And too often it tries to catch up to other sports. We want to be more like the NFL or the NBA. We're to introduce replay now uh, because that's what they're doing. We're to put a clock in uh, the NHL, the NBA, the, the soccer. Instead of chasing other sports, I wish baseball, and I understand that you do have to change to a degree, with the times, but to a degree, if you look at how far, how many changes baseball has made over the short decade, even it, 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 if baseball is trying to attract more and a younger audience, 
then they should really look at the research of what they've done over the last 10, five years. And right. their purpose was to increase the younger audience, but that has failed. So by doing what they're doing, that's obviously not working. But I don't hear people saying that. Um, so, and I believe, you guys, I, I tell you, I've been so passionate about it. I've interviewed <laughs> and, uh, I, Bud Selig when he was leaving as the commissioner of baseball, was doing a farewell tour, and he went through all these ballparks, and he made the mistake of entering my our broadcast booth in <laughs> Pittsburgh, and we did the regular interview, and I, 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 I said, Commissioner, before you leave, I need you to promise me you will not let the American League allow the designated hitter to enter the National League. And I had him on the air. This was live. And, uh, and he didn't necessarily put his you know hand on a Bible, but he said, ah, oh, no, that, that'll never happen. Something like that. And he kind of hurried his way out of the booth. And then uh, last summer, I, I did it again with the Commissioner Manfred. I said, please, Commissioner, don't don't do it. Don't let the DH come into the National League. And uh, he, he, he didn't, uh, <laughs> I think he kind of changed the subject. Mm -hmm. But the point is, I have, I've, I've said this to, to Pirate fans over Q&A sessions, uh, over speaking engagements, so they brought this up, and they said, you know, can't you just accept it? Other people have said this to me almost angrily. Can't you just accept it? It's coming... And, and, and what are you, uh, what are you going to do when they, when the DH comes to the National League? Cause you've been so adamant against it. What are you going to do then? And right. I say, I will cross, cross that bridge when I get to it. <laughs> until then, why do we concede anything? We should never give up until it happens. Fight for all you, every National League city should fight. All fans should fight because I believe if every National League city did that, it has no chance of coming into the National League, the DH. We are talking to the voice of Greg Brown. And yes, he's the voice of the great Pittsburgh Pirates. But, Greg, this is my last question. And you were just speaking of Commissioner Rob Manford, who I can't stand. I have spoken not too highly of him throughout our shows throughout the last couple of weeks. What is your thoughts of his handling of the Houston Astros? Oh, I, I don't know. You know, I guess my thought is that he, he's trying to do the best he can. You know, he's doing what's best for the game, uh, what he believes is best for the game, and he gets a lot of, I'm sure, advice from people. I think he's a great baseball fan. I see that, having sat with him enough to know that, I mean, and he doesn't get to where he is unless he is that. Uh, he has to answer to a lot of people. My problem is not with what the commissioner did. Um, actually, it's what kind of baseball has done, and it goes back to the point about the tradition of the game. It's all part and parcel to that. What has happened is that they've created a culture now by changing rules, by not wanting, for example, collisions at home plate because they want to stay up with the times, uh, because they don't want collisions at second base. Um, they, they now don't want players, uh, pitchers hitting batters ever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, tw 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I guess it might even been, you would have pitchers who, and in fact, I've asked pitchers who, 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 who pitched not too, uh, fairly recently, no longer in the game, but fairly recently this. Tell me, because I, I feel this way about myself. I'm, I'm a competitor, competitor enough. 
that if I'm on the mound in Houston and I'm pitching and I see this, this, that something's happening, my catcher certainly knows it's happening because I, you guys have probably seen the, uh, yep. the, the YouTube video from a couple years ago, White Sox, Danny Farquhar. It's not a huge crowd at Minton Maid Park. You're hearing the sound. And, and anytime it's a breaking ball, you're hearing the sound. When it's a fastball, you don't hear the trash can. The catcher comes out and talks to Farquhar, and you can see him saying something like they've got our signs. So if the, if the batter, if the Astros hitter at Minton Maid can hear the trash can banging, then it stands to reason that the catcher can hear the trash can banging. So they know something's up, the catcher. How can, and then therefore the pitcher probably does. How can those two together, or one, either the catcher or the pitcher, or both, walk over to the Astros dugout between innings and say, hey guys, just so you know, every time I hear that trash can or whatever that noise is, that is my signal to hit that batter square in the back. (laughs) And then it's over. There's no need for any of this. That all ends. If the players are allowed to police themselves, they need to do that. In my opinion, baseball should do that. Let the players police themselves. And by doing that, you have to give a lot of authority back to the umpires, which they should also do. Um, then this whole thing doesn't happen. I have a, one of my cohorts, uh, John Weiner, talked to an umpire in the last few months and i don't know where it was or i I forget the uh the circumstance but he asked him the question did you hear those trash cans banging in houston two years ago and the umpire at home the home when he was umpiring at home plate he said of course so the umpire hears it the batter hears it that means the catcher had to hear it everyone's hearing it how can you as a pitcher an opposing pitcher allow them to do that so it got too far beyond where it should have to blame the commissioner. I blame any pitcher who's trying to win a game and who's trying to put, as they say, put food on my family's table. <laughs> I'm earning a living. How can you allow them to cheat outwardly like that? I cannot understand that for the life of me because I know me who never played one inning of semi-pro ball, let alone professional ball, <laughs> if I were out there and they were doing that, that's what I would have done. I'd gone to the dugout and said, boys, just so you know, I'm hearing it, and the next time I do, somebody's getting in the back of the neck. And again, like I said, it's over at that point. That doesn't happen again. Greg, have you watched any new movies or TV shows that you really, during the season or during uh, the off-season, you never get a chance to watch now that uh, you're home right now with your family? By the way, how are you and your family right now uh, with this uh, pandemic? Well, thanks, guys. And I've, I've, I've watched more Netflix than ever before. I've gone, <laughs> I, I, you know, some buddies recommended, you know, the, the uh, Tiger King, which I watched, <laughs> and it was ridiculous how stupid it was. Um <laughs> But I, and, and but I and I also watched uh, oh my gosh Wild Country on the recommendation of a uh, hmm. uh, I watched a lot of news programs and and one of the hosts of this news program suggested Wild Country I watched that and that was I thought really good um, so I've watched more Netflix than ever and uh, and, and thank you but we're we're hanging in there I uh, luckily uh, I live in a 
an area that's got a lot of land and not many, un- I guess to a degree it's lucky, but uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, I've got no chance of catching Corona from a neighbor, let's put it that way, because we have no neighbors. Um, but uh, my wife and my, my, my son, who uh, was a college student and was studying uh, in Ireland when this thing hit and was basically forced to leave, uh, is, is home now with us, and, and my 83-year-old mother-in-law is with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she has to be, uh, you know, uh, quarantined, obviously, and right. we got to be careful with that. But it's uh, it's you know, like everybody in, in this country and around the world, we're all kind of dealing with it and getting through it and hoping it, uh, uh, we, we get back to some shred of normalcy before too long. Hopefully. Well, Greg, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you all over social media? Well, I, yeah, I... I uh, begrudgingly, I, I went on t- Twitter about uh, three years ago, so I've got a Twitter account. That's, that's as far as I, I've gone. I go to uh, 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 at G Brownie Points is, is my uh, uh, my handle. So uh, I do. I don't tweet a ton. I I tweet. Uh, you know, I stay away from politics. Mm-hmm. I actually about uh, well, I guess it's leading up to the election in sixteen. I. I I'm so stupid when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I, I was I was hitting a lot of likes when it came to politics. I won't tell you which way I was leaning, <laughs> but I got a phone call from our, our PR VP. And he said, boy, I can sure tell where, where you're headed this election. And I said, how do you know that? And he says, do me a favor and delete any uh, political bet that you have on your Twitter page account because you're liking things. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, well, when you like something, other people can tell how you're leaning politically. So I quit doing that. And uh, but but that's, uh, you know, so I stick to baseball now. And it's uh, it's at G Brownie points. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Greg, when the season does start or whenever the season starts, we would love to get you on and talk some Pittsburgh baseball. That'd be fun, man. I'd, I'd, I'd love it. Speedy and Errol Flynn, thanks a million. <laughs> Thank you. Greg Brown, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. When we come back, we're going to get into some Nick conversation. Stories coming out of New York, Nickville, that the Knicks might be eager or interested to trade their number one pick this year from this year's draft to, get into, to, to try to bring in a big-time superstar. When we come back, we'll get into that here on Down to the Wire. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening to Down to the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A little Metallica. Wah, wah, wah. Don't Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. Yes, No Leaf Clover, Metallica, S and M album, one of the best instrumental albums in rock history. Heavy I love metal guitarist. Oh my god, He's so Kurt Amet. Yeah, and James Hetfield. Right, two of the very best, and one of the best in my in my opinion bands of all time. Metallica, so Black Album, one of the greatest albums of yeah. all time. So, uh, you know, most of their tracks from that album is just absolutely a killer. So, I love Metallica. So, you playing S and M and this instrumental album for No Leaf Clover, one of the best, 
one of the best instrumental songs, in my my opinion, in rock history. So, there you go. No Leaf Clover, Metallica. We went with Corn, some Limp Biscuit. We were going to play some Pantera, but we're not going to get to that today. But we are going to get into this story. And by the way, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I do want to get into this story before we go. There's two stories I want to get into. One, will the Knicks trade their first pick this year to bring in a star? That's a good question. And to me, as a New York Knicks fan and a guy that follows the New York Knicks, even though when you look at the team and you look at the organization, they're a complete laughingstock of not only the NBA but professional sports, I do believe that if the Knicks get the right player or the Knicks uh, are offered the right player, I could see the Knicks trading away this fourth, fifth, or sixth pick that they're probably going to get into this year's draft, or maybe the number one. Now, if the Knicks fall in the top three picks, I will not trade that pick. I would not trade that pick. I don't care who it is, except if it's Carl Anthony Towns. If it's Carl Anthony Towns, I make that trade. But if it's not Carl Anthony Towns, a young guy under contract that I have control of, I'm not making that trade. I'm not giving away a prospect that could turn out to be a superstar from you know in this league, even though the Knicks have struck out in the last couple of years except R.J. Barrett. So I know this story is coming out, and, and people are talking about it right now. And with Leon Rose, who was a new GM, who's been uh, a scout and really, not a scout, um, an agent, an agent in the NBA for what? I think now 20 years, 22 years, and he's had the likes of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and all these superstars, Carl Anthony Towns, all these superstars in the league. I I question right now if the Knicks are making the smart move, if this story is true. Now, what level of a star would it take? Let's say it's not a top three. Carl Anthony Towns. Let's say it's not a top three pick. Like if it's maybe a top ten, maybe it's like the seventh pick or the sixth pick, depending on where they fall in the lottery. I trade it. What level of a star would it be after that? Does Donovan Mitchell. Don- His value might even fall further at this rate. Donovan saying. Mitchell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there are stories coming out that Donovan Mitchell wants to play in New York. That There's no hidden secret there. That the Knicks wanted to draft him the year that he was drafted. That was one of the guys that they really wanted, and he fell to 13, where eventually he went to Utah. But Donovan Mitchell, who wants out... Right now in Utah, and that is not a, hot, a hidden story. Him and Rudy Gobert is—they're n- not getting along on and off the on and off the court. And Donovan Mitchell is a star, a star in the making. He's one of the best young players in the NBA right now. This is a guy that averaged over 25, 26 points a game last year. So, if you can get Donovan Mitchell for possibly two or three first-round draft picks. I make that move. Absolutely make that move because it is a superstar player. And he is, well, he's a star player becoming a superstar player. Speedy, are you going to get that through or what? What are you doing over there? You having problems again with the phone? No. Jeez. Waiting for you to introduce him. Oh, as you guys know, I've been waiting for this guy to call. He, he's been very, very sick. And uh, how you doing, Beef? How are you feeling? Well, look at that. Speedy. Again, screws up. Why am I not surprised? Go ahead, go ahead, Beef. Now you hear me? I hear you. Speedy doesn't know how to work well, a phone. That's a problem. Well, I, well that's because he wants to sleep with uh, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, well, he wants to sleep with a lot of things. Unfortunately, he doesn't know how to use a phone. Well, I know you being a big Jet fan and everything. What do you think about all the chaos that's going on with Jamal Adams? 
what is what, what do I think of the chaos going on with Jamal Adams? It's it's an interesting uh, conversation. I do not believe the Jets are going to trade uh, of this ma- this player of this magnitude right now. Jamal Adams is the Jets' best player, and to me, I just can't see that happening right now. Now, if the Cowboys offer him a significant amount, now there are stories. I don't, I don't think they are, but that's fine. Well, if they're not going to, they're they're not going to get Jamal Adams if they're not going to give up a, a significant amount. I mean, no, they're going to have to give up a first round draft pick and possibly two first round draft picks and a fourth to get somebody of that magnitude. You're not going to get a superstar safety who's arguably the the first or second best safety in all of football for nothing, yeah, but, Mike. Yeah, but it seems like it seems like he doesn't want to be there, but the GM wants him. But here's so, the thing. Here's the thing. He's under contract for two years, and he could be franchised for two years. He could be with the Jets for four years, and there's nothing he could do about it. True. So yeah, I mean, he could also hold out. So. He could hold out, and and if you know anything about Jamal Adams, and I do, and I've interviewed Jamal Adams, he loves football so much. I can't see him sitting out for a whole season just to prove a point. I can't see it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you, you you think you know these players, and they just they they still they do things unexpectedly, and you can never say never because he 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 will hold out. Well, again, I do not believe Jamal Adams will hold out this year. Now, I maybe next year when it's his last year on his contract, his rookie contract, but he could be franchised after that. And you speak very, you know, you go back and forth with the Cowboys. How about Dak Prescott? They they well, franch- they franchised him. They didn't pay him any money. And this is a guy that expects him uh, expects at least between thirty and forty million dollars. And they have not offered him. Not, but if I'm the Cowboys, I'm not paying him forty million dollars. I'm sorry. So, so let me get this straight. You will pay Jamal Adams a hundred million dollars, but you will not pay Dak Prescott a hundred million dollars. Say that. I'm saying the Cowboys aren't going to trade for him, so Jamal has nothing to do with the Cowboys right now. No, but I do believe the Cowboys, there are there are talks that the Cowboys are interested in Jamal Adams. It's not just Jamal Adams strictly uh, interested in going to the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys interested in Jamal Adams. So whatever you Cowboy fans think that, oh, well, Jamal Adams wants to be a Cowboy, that's not true. Almost, that's not true. They almost, they almost landed him last year. Yeah, and, and you, know how, you know how much they had to give up to get him? Nino? They had to give up two first round. What I was hearing, I, two first, a third, and a player. And that's what the Cowboys didn't do. It well, much. again, I, I do believe that if the Cowboys think they're one defensive player away from being a Super Bowl contender, I could see the Cowboys giving up two first rounds and a third. I could see them doing two it. First, two first rounds? And a third. If they, if they think they're a borderline playoff team and they can make a run in the playoffs, if they land Jamal Adams with uh, HaHa Clinton Dix and you have arguably a very, very solid duo over there, arguably could be the best two tandem safeties in the league, why wouldn't they do that? Why wouldn't they do that? That that solidifies their secondary. Even with even if their corners stink or they have rookie corners, you have arguably two of uh, well, you have arguably the best safety in football. And Ha Clinton Dix, over the last five six years, he's been one of the top seven or eight safeties in football. And you put one at strong and one at uh, uh, one at free safety. And I would put I would put Jamal at free safety and Ha Clinton Dix as strong safety because then you can use Jamal all over the field. And that's what I – Jamal is good not just uh, getting – spots, yeah. Yeah, you can move him around. You can do a lot of things with Jamal Adams. So um, do I think it's possible that 
the Cowboys could get Jamal Adams. I think if the price is right, yes, I think that the Cowboys can get him. I don't think they're going to get him this year. I could see it more next yeah, the year. GM, the GM wants Adams with the Jets for his whole career. Yeah, I don't believe all that saying. If you know anything about Joe Douglas, he comes from two organizations that love to say that. One, the Baltimore Ravens, and two... And everybody knows this, the Philadelphia Eagles. How many times have we heard over the years with Chip Kelly and, and ownership over there, we're keeping, um, what's his name, the wide receiver? Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson. Oh, we love him. Blah, 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 blah. He's the, one of the greatest uh, the greatest wide receivers we've ever had from our organization. Remember what he said about Nick Foles after the 2013 season. Uh, I, I want him to be my starting quarterback for the next 50 years. Yep. Two years later, he's gone. He's gone. So uh, <laughs> they bring in you're, you're, you're talking about... You're talking about organizations now that you know Joe Douglas has come from, and I just I just believe he's trying to make sure that Jamal Adams doesn't think that he's going to be traded, and also he's he's also playing possum with all the other teams that are going to offer him a significant amount. If if everybody knows that Joe Douglas wants to trade Jamal Adams, what do you think he's what do you think he's going to get for him? He's going to get nothing. But if Jamal Adams is under contract and he is saying that he wants to make sure that Jamal Adams is the strong safety for the New York Jets moving forward for the next 10 to 15 years, well, then there's no conversation. There's no talks over in the newspaper or Manish Mehta, who loves to cause trouble in the tabloids, where uh, if it does happen, nobody is – it's not a foregone conclusion that it was – uh, it was a trade enhanced for for the Jets to um, lose on the trade th- instead of gain. So I think the Jets plan to gain on this trade if they move Jamal Adams. And do I think they're going to move Jamal Adams? Yes, I do. I just don't think it's going to be this year. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. I don't know. Sometimes he stays with the Jets. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, I can't see... Uh, Joe Douglas. After you seen what he's done on this off season, in this off season, look at the money he spent this off season. Just look. He didn't overpay any player. Nope. He he top heavied the contract because he knows that next year he can drop the contract, and then he's going to have about. They're saying if if he drops some of those contracts next year, he's got about ninety two to eighty eight million dollars to spend next year in free agency. And you know Joe Douglas isn't going to waste money because he doesn't come from an organization or uh, a game plan where he's going to just throw money out to uh, Le'Veon Bell or C.J. Mosley. And even though I think C.J. Mosley was a good signing, uh, Le'Veon Bell, and we've heard it over the last, I would say, the last past year with Le'Veon Bell being here with the New York Jets, that if Joe Douglas was here, that that contract would have never happened. So I don't believe that Joe Douglas is just going to throw away money, and that's why I think Jamal Adams will be gone when he becomes uh, yeah, but available. Yeah, safety in the league, wouldn't you want to lock him up? Yes, but the Jets have a guy named Marcus May who has proven last year that in the second half of the season, if you were to say who played better, Marcus May or Jamal Adams, I'm sorry to say it was Marcus May. Marcus May was yeah, the better safety. Jamal Adams is a lot better. No, I, Hold on one second. The only reason why the, the only reason why people will say Jamal Adams is better than Marcus May right now is Marcus May can't stay on the field. The guy can't stay healthy. But if you look at uh, Marcus May's numbers in the second half of the season last year when he played a significant amount of games, he was the better safety out of him and Jamal Adams. And that's not even an argument. Jamal Adams' best game was the game that he had three sacks in it. That was his best game. He had four and a half sacks. 
in, in, in throughout the season. And three of his four and a half, five sacks that he had last year were in from one game. And that was against the Giants. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Stole the ball from Daniel That's Jones. it. That was it. Now, now, do I think Jamal Adams is one of the best safeties in the league? He is. Yeah, but, he, but he was also on a defensive team that, I mean, really wasn't that healthy last year. Really? Because even though they weren't healthy in the second half of the season, they were ranked sixth well, in all of football. Old. Sixth. And they were the second-best run-stopping team in football. Well, you said the second half, the first half. They, they were well, the first half, you, you, lost, you didn't have your quarterback, so your defense was on the field even more well, because you had, you had guys that you never even heard of at a quarterback besides Trevor Simeon, who he got hurt the first game he came in. I mean, I, they didn't have – until Sam Darnold came back, that's when the defense started playing well. And, yes, they weren't 100% healthy last year. It's also year. the first couple games of a new defensive coordinator, yes. too. A lot of players, especially young players like the Jets have, need to get acclimated to that, too, after playing under Todd Bowles for a while. I think Jamal Adams is a great player. Do I think Marcus May could be just as good a player as him? Well, some people say that he is. Now, the question is, could Marcus May stay on the field? This has been the problem for Mark. Last year, he, he, he was pretty healthy all season long. That was his healthiest season. In the three years he's been in the league, that was the healthiest season. This guy is only 24, 25 years old. Marcus May has a lot of football left. And yes, I think the Jets could move on from Jamal Adams, have Marcus May, and still win. They can. So uh, do I think the Jets could move Jamal Adams? I don't think it will be this year. But I, I will bet my bottom dollar next year, next offseason, Jamal Adams will be gone from the New York Jets. So you don't think that the team just were enough during the trade deadline? I do not believe I do not believe they'll trade him this year because of the whole virtual uh, virtual NFL draft, and they won't get as much back for him. Next year, if he has another Pro Bowl season, and I do believe he will, especially knowing that he has one more year left until his contract season, Jamal Adams will be a highly profiled, priced player, and they can get themselves a lot of picks next year, especially in next year's draft. So, well, if, if he stays healthy, because he can go on the field and get hurt, and then his trade value is going to drop. Absolutely. But I, I do believe that the Jets are going to be a better team this year. They're going to be 100% well, healthy. I mean, CJ Mosley, Avery Williamson, that's a better defense I mean, already. If, if the Jets have plans to get rid of them, then they're going to take a chance with them staying healthy the whole season. That's the best of You know this more than anybody. In any sport, you're taking a chance if they're on the court. So you're on the field. You're gonna you're gonna make that excuse. You're paying this guy a significant amount of money. Jamal Adams is making close to what is it? Three million dollars next year. Four million dollars. Yeah. You're paying him four million dollars. You expect him to play, and he will play. And he's not notoriously injury prone where nope. you have to worry about him either. I think he had one injury his injured. rookie year, and yeah. that was it. Mm-hmm. He plays injured. So again. Do I see him not being a Jet in the future? Yes, I do. I, I do not believe the Jets will bring him back. Not not as long as Joe Douglas is running that team in that organization. I think they're going to put all their eggs in one basket, and that's Sam Darnold. If Sam Darnold is the quarterback of the future of that organization, they will do everything they can next year to extend his contract before his rookie contract's up because they do not want to pay him $38, million, $39 million. They'd rather pay him $25, $24 million for a five-, six-year deal. Oh, the Jets don't make the playoffs. They're gonna have a whole new management. So, well, what if the new management wants to keep them. Then, with the extended teams that they're going to have now in the playoff run this year, and and, and the year after the seventeenth game, I, I think it's going to help and it's going to benefit the New York Jets because of the AFC and how weak the AFC is. I could see a seven and nine team making the playoffs from the AFC this year. <laughs> I could. I can actually see a seven and nine. That's why team I didn't like the new expansion. <laughs> make the playoffs this year. That's how. 
That's how crazy this is. Well, well, not to say that if they don't make it, they're going to have a whole new management. Oh, I, I think so. they're going to have a whole new management if they don't win a playoff game this year. I do believe the Jets will make the playoffs. I think the Jets have a very good chance, if healthy, so to win the division. If they make the playoffs and they lose in the first round, they're going to fire Adam. They're going to fire Adam Gase no matter what. Adam Gase has to win a playoff game. He has to win a playoff game. He has to win a playoff game. If he doesn't win a playoff game, Adam Gase will be gone. That's what That's I think. Interesting. That's what I think. Because I, I think that it opens up a lot of avenues for teams to make the playoffs, adding the extra few teams that can make the playoffs. If, if you get him there, if you get if you get him there, you still think he's going to be gone, even if he doesn't win. Because me and you can get the Jets to a playoff game. If if a seven and nine team can make the playoffs, and it, it, and looking at the rules right now and adding the extra teams implemented the way they are doing it right now in the NFL, uh, there's a very good chance that in, in in at least one of these leagues, an eight and eight or seven nine team is going to make the playoffs this year. I think he's asking, what if it's a ten and six year? Um, and they don't make the, and they don't get out of the first round. I think they're and fired. they lose. Maybe let's say they lose. They're the three seed or something. They, they fire him. to the six. They fire so. him. They fire him. I, I don't believe, even though Joe Douglas and Adam Gase are good friends, I do not believe that Joe Douglas believes that Adam Gase is the, the future uh, coach of this organization. I really don't believe that. That's why he asked for not – usually when you, when you sign a GM, you give him a four-year contract. He asked for a six-year contract because he believes and he wants to make sure that he can – Bring his own coach to that team, his own style to that team, before you can judge um, anything that he brings to that uh, that team moving forward. So Adam Gase was not his pick. He was Adam Gase's pick. So, And that's why he got a six-year deal. And I believe Joe Douglas, to me, is going to be uh, a very high-profile GM. And we're, we're going to look at him three, four years as Jet fans and be very happy and very excited that this guy is running this organization. He's doing the right thing. He's not overpaying players. He's not op- overpaying uh, big-time superstars. He knows that he can win, and he can win through the draft, and that's where most teams win when it comes to Super Bowls, mm. the draft. Go look at every single team that's won the Super Bowl in the last 10 seasons. Most of those teams won through drafts, not free agency. Go up and down those teams. It's pretty true. So... Uh, my my argument here, as far as I'm concerned with the Cowboys, I think the Cowboys have a lot of weaknesses going into this season. Uh, one weakness that nobody looks at, and I'll say this again, special teams. This is a team that had problems. Well, I just signed Greg Zerline, though. So. I, I understand that. Greg Zerline is a, he's a field goal kicker. That doesn't help that whole – that doesn't help your special teams. That doesn't help all of your special teams. <laughs> Anything's better than Brett Maher. Punt returning. <laughs> Does it help your punt returning? No. Does it help your no. kickoffs? No. No, but anything's better than Brett Maher. <laughs> I understand that. Look at who the Jets had last year. I know. I mean, yeah, I don't a even lot know of who bad they... kickers. So I, when you get a really I, good one, it's great. Well, again, Greg Zerline can't stay on the field. I've had Greg Zerline for the last three years on my fantasy, and every single year he's gotten hurt for a significant amount of time. So even having Greg Zerline, as good a kicker as Greg Zerline, he grew up a Cowboys fan, if you know anything about Greg Zerline. That doesn't matter. Because, again... As good as Greg Zerline is, you have to worry about his injury and his injuries that he's had over the years. Greg Valleg has had significant injuries, not only to his, his planning leg, his kicking leg. So to me, I, as good as Greg Zerline has been over the years with the Rams, I, I still question 
uh, their special teams. <laughs> Greg Zerline Hurt is still ten times better than Brett Maher. <laughs> Again, that is not my argument. Well, I mean, the Cowboys, I mean, they, they still have two players that they don't know what's going on yet. One, one's still suspended, and the other one hasn't played in two years. I also worry about the so. Cowboys, and I'm not a Cowboy fan, but I worry about the Cowboys. You're coming from a new offense, a, a new style of offense, a West Coast offense, and I understand what Kevin Ray said to us, the Cowboys play-by-play well, I, guy. Well, I still don't think he's going to run a West Coast offense. Oh, I do. Well, there's different versions of West Coast I, offenses. Too. How, how, how are you going to tell the guy that practically in the last 15 years is really the voice of the West Coast offense? He is the... The, behind the West Coast offense well, now, when you talk so about totally, the two guys, guys took all this time off to study the game. Oh, stop it! Stop it! Look. He took off because the Jets didn't give him the job. That's why he took he, off. Well, and during that time off, he studied the game differently. So I don't believe that in a heartbeat. He listen once once you're a coach, you're always a coach, and once you 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 run a style of offense, you run that style of offense. You don't just change the offense because it doesn't fit or implement in the ty- style of game that you play. Well, McCarthy and Green Bay did change the offense for certain players. Still was a West Coast well, offense. Yeah, but again, West Coast offenses of different types now because there's other West Coast. Tell coaches me a West Coast different. offense that's worked with a power back. With a power back? With a power back like Ezekiel Elliott. The original one, the 49ers. <laughs> I'm Roger talking about Crick. now. I'm oh. talking about now, Speedy. Listen before you talk because you don't listen. Right now, tell me a West Coast offense that has a power back. Their best player is a their power back. Their best player. Is a power back. That their best player is a power back? A, ba- a back, okay? A back. The answer is zilch, zero, none. Okay, well, that is none. Well, and tell me, can, tell me, out of a Mike McCarthy, out, tell me, tell me, tell me, in in the in the twelve years or thirteen years he was with the Green Bay Packers, how many great power backs ran in his offense and, and were successful in his offense? How many? He didn't have any. He didn't have any good running backs. Yeah, two. He had two in two years. Eddie Lacy was he had, one. He had Eddie Lacy for two years and Ryan Grant for one year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. He didn't even have Almond Green. So yeah, no. first of all, those two can can even compare him to Ezekiel. So okay. Again, so so wait a second, wait a second. Because first of all, when Eddie Lacy came out of the draft and he was a second round draft pick, if I'm yep. not sure, mm-hmm. he was supposed to be a first round draft pick, and and he came from Alabama. And Eddie and I remember Eddie Lacy because they had two great backs and they won the national title. And Mar- one of them was Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram, who won the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. And he is a, a great back. Now, he, you know, he's been back and forth with different teams and he's, he's been a very, very good back in this league. Eddie Lacy was the backup back in that, that draft. And they, they were saying that Mark Ingram and Eddie Lacy were going to be first round draft picks. He fell out. And that's why Green Bay snatched him up in the second round. Eddie Lacy, the first two years, was a very good back. He was a very good back. <laughs> I remember everyone thinking he was a first-round pick for fantasy, and I thought they were nuts. <laughs> he was a very good back. I would beg to differ on that. I mean, those first two years, you look at his numbers, he was there. He was there. Here's the problem with Eddie Lacy. He had a problem with weight problems. That's been – it was always the foregone conclusion with Eddie Lacy and why he didn't get that extended contract with the Green Bay Packers was his weight problem is off-season workouts and all that other stuff, if you know anything about it. And I will tell you this about Ezekiel Elliott, who's one of my favorite players in the league, and I am not a Cowboy fan. 
Ezekiel Elliott, as much as you want to blow his head up, Ezekiel Elliott, in, in his style of game and the way he runs the ball, he is not an outside back. He doesn't make the right play. And I'm not saying he can't do it, but he doesn't make the right decisions when he gets the ball in the backfield tossed to him on, on screen no, that passes. Was, well, that, that was because of bad coaching with Jason. Uh, oh, so, oh, so... Oh, so what are you? What excuse are you going to have right, this year? Jason Garrett, while he was a bad coach, he still emphasized the middle run. Jason Garrett was not a bad coach, but still, regardless, wasn't a bad coach. Regardless, we're not, we're, not, we're not arguing their that offense, again. But their offense in the last three years, in the la- their offense in the last three years, in the last three years, their offense. It wasn't their offense that wasn't good. It was their defense, especially last year, who was supposed to be their strength of their team, was their weakness. Their offense last year was ranked in the top five in the league. Okay, that was Jason Garrett's but, offense. But the year after that, the year before that, be quiet for one second. In, in, in the year before that, they were ranked in the top ten in offense. That was Jason Garrett. Don't tell me that Jason Garrett is not a good coach, a great offense. Let's see where they're ranked this year with Mike McCarthy. If they're not ranked in the top ten, really? You want to bet on that? I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet money. They were ranked in the top five in offense this past year. I will. I'm willing to bet you. I'm willing to bet you that the Cowboys will not be ranked in the top five this year. I'm willing to bet you. They will. How much you want to bet? I'm not betting no money. I bet you twenty bucks. Not bet any money. I bet you a big dinner anywhere I want to go. Insignia Prime. Let's bet. Let's bet. Come on, because you're so sure of yourself. I'm telling you right now. They are not going to be in the top five in offense this year with a new coach, and the offense does not fit Mike McCarthy's offense. It doesn't. Okay, okay. And you think Amari Cooper? Out of all the wide receivers we've seen, uh, Devontae Adams, um, Greg Jennings, all the other wide receivers who Jordy Nelson, yeah, Jordy Nelson, all these wide receivers who are completely different than Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper. Is um, a route runner. He's a great route runner. Yeah, he's one of the uh, best uh, route runners in the game. I I doubt that. Okay, I'm, I'm, I beg to differ on that. And for you to blow him up to say he's one of the best route runners, you want to know who a great yeah. route runner is? Uh, Julie, Julian Edelman is a great route runner. That's a great route runner. Jamison Crowder is a great route runner. Okay. Now, Amari Cooper, he's a good route runner, but he's also good in other areas, too. He's a great blocker for for uh, a wide receiver. He does a lot of things good in the open field. He's one of the best middle going into the middle of the field and making plays in the middle of the field. He's very good at that. But to blow his head up, to try to compare him to, like, a Jordy Nelson that he's coached when he was at the top of his game, or even uh, Devontae Adams, he's not even in the same hemisphere as any of those guys. He's not. He's not. And you can say whatever you want. He's not. Jordy Nelson at the top of his game for the four years it was at the top of the game, Beef, he you can't even compare Amari Cooper to them. You can't. Well, Cooper's number one to me. So Yeah, but I mean, to Jordy, you. Jordy Nelson was a number one too. To point? you. To you, he was a number one. Jordy Nelson was a number one and was a top five receiver in football. Jordy Nelson for almost five years was a top five receiver in football. And he had the best quarterback. By the way, that's something that uh, Mike McCarthy does not have over there with the Dallas Cowboys. So what are they going to do when they get into trouble? Are they going to rest their hands on Dak Prescott? Because he's not Aaron Rodgers, Beef. He's just not. No one's saying he is. Well, you, you kind of make Amari Cooper out to be the next Jerry Rice. No, I'm not. I yes, you do. You'd say, oh, you think Amari Cooper's a top five wide receiver? Top five? No, he's definitely top ten. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we all okay. say that. Yeah, okay. see, I'd say he's ten. I say he's ten. 
he's close. He's close to five. Not that far. I, I'm See, if we did like, this on the phone, I think I had him eight, and Errol had him ten. I had him so. ten. I had him ten. <laughs> Judge for yourself. I think he's. The, I think he's the best number two wide receiver in football. That's what I think he is. I think he is extraordinary. If you have a number one wide receiver, if you had a Devontae Adams and Amari Cooper, you have the best. You have the best second, uh, number two wide receiver in the league. And then you have one of the top five, wide, top five, top seven wide receivers in all of football in Devontae Adams. I, I think Amari Cooper is the best number two in football. The best. There's nobody uh, close to him. Uh, I think he's the number one, so I think you're uh, I don't uh, think he is. I think number one's, I, when you talk about number one. He's a middle end number one, low end number one to me. But again, he's not what he's Jordy the best Nelson number two was in, in his prime. And Devontae Adams, he's had some off years in the beginning of his career, but he's been very consistent the last three. And he's skill-wise a little better, too. All I'm saying is the Cowboys will be fine, and they should win the division. They will be fine. They will not win the division this year. They won't even come close. Mike, have you seen the Eagles offseason? What's that? They won't even come close. Have you seen the Eagles offseason? Yeah, I don't care what the Eagles will do. They got a top five corner in football for a third round pick. I don't. I don't care what the Eagles do. Go on the field and try and beat my team. And see what happens. It's ultimately after the game. Okay. I will tell you this right now. On paper, it's not even close. The Philadelphia Eagles are a better team. On paper, well, it's not even close. You're right. Go look at championship. The Eagles have won a championship in the last four years, and the Cowboys haven't won a championship in twenty. You're absolutely right. Yes, the 2011 Eagles proved that. I know. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing: the Eagles have won a championship in the last three or four years, and the Cowboys haven't won a championship in almost 25. Well, that that, yeah, that well, tells you everything. The Eagles got the Eagles got lucky. That's why the Eagles got lucky. lucky. So hold on. No, uh, beating beating a Atlanta team that just went to the Super Bowl with a defense that was injured for a lo- most not part. just beating an Atlanta team, destroying an no, Atlanta fifteen to ten. That was a close game. No, no, no. they destroyed them. The still. numbers don't. The numbers don't. Again, when you watch football, even though a team beats them fifteen to ten, go watch the th- go watch the second half of that game. Philadelphia they dominated, dominated the that second game. half. Absolutely. Yes. So it so wasn't beat, even. Close. So they beat Atlanta it with, with a mostly injured defense and a backup quarterback, a team that just went to the Super Bowl and was relatively healthy. Then they destroy the Vikings, who are coming off the biggest win in their franchise history. History against the Saints, they destroy them thirty-eight to seven, and then they beat the Patriots, who have been to the Super Bowl all the time. They got lucky. <laughs> by the way, we, by the way, we're talking to the Beef. Yes, he's on the show. Before we, uh, we're done with the show, but I, I wanted the Beef to call. And by the way, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, I know you came down with something. You don't know exactly what it is. You took the test twice. More than likely, it probably was COVID. How are you feeling? Well, feeling a little bit better. I mean, it, it does. It knocks the crap out of you. How's mom it doing? Really does. What? How's mom doing? Leave my mother out of this, all right. <laughs> does she before, miss yeah, me? I, does she miss me? Before I, I quarantine myself and drive over the aisle to keep the crap out of you. <laughs> uh, does she miss me? You're an idiot. <laughs> I'm happy that you're feeling better. Yeah, I'm starting to come back to myself now. So 
Well, that's 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 saying a lot because I don't know where you were, by the way. Real, real worse. You're an idiot. Well, we know where Speedy wants to be. He wants to be with Saquon Barkley. That's right. Yesterday it proved it. I mean, what kind of person? And I, I, I want to ask all you fans out here. And I, I listen. Speedy is very straightforward, and I love that about him. He'll answer any question. But I, the funny out of all the guys he could pick that he could be with. He picks a guy, Saquon Barkley. Of all the guys he can date, it's Saquon Barkley. All the guys, so it's already awkward to begin with for me. And so you pick Saquon Barkley of all the guys that you could pick, Brad Pitt. How about uh, Tom Cruise or somebody else? Maybe Leave It to Beaver or somebody like that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously. I mean. you were supposed to say none, Speedy, not pick somebody. No, I like that. He, he's honest. I, I think I, uh, I, uh, I don't care, but again, I may, I entertain his random Snapchat fans. He once does. In a while. He does. He's really funny. I don't. I don't believe everything I say for the most part, but yes, he does. I entertain him. Yes, he does. He likes a hammer between his legs. That's not way. true. A cold <laughs> hammer between his legs. He he really does like that. So. Any I fans? Like a cold hammer in between my legs. You do. You you said that. I'll tell you this right now. I will get the recording and the audio that you said you do not like. Uh, well, you do like it, but you don't like it. So you oh, you rather no cold hammer between your legs. But if if it's a must, you would take it between your legs. God, I don't remember saying that at all. Well, I have a good, have a good memory. <laughs> well, you do have a good memory, but sometimes I think you're lost in translation. You know? Well, yes, your Snapchats could cause me to do that. <laughs> Beef. Oh, you guys are too much. Beef, thank you for calling, man. You Feel better. I'll, I'll talk to you guys. Soon. Absolutely. Mr. Beef, guys, I'm sure Snug loved that. And I've Snug, I'm sure Snug wasn't listening today. So Snug didn't get the chance to hear the beef, the great beef, by the way. Speedy, uh, you have the beef still there. What's wrong with you, man? That's what I mean. Speedy does not concentrate on the most important things to a producer on a show. He's more worried about other things. I don't know. Maybe uh, um, itching his own rear end. How's that sound? Which he's been doing practically the whole show. Yeah, okay. You were. You were. You were your hands were in your pants. I know. They were it was. down. They were here. No, your hands were in your pants, Speedy. I was watching you. Okay? I'm, I am not blind, ladies and gentlemen. I am sitting right next to him, so I saw it. Anyways, 631-965-4990 is the number. As you know, this is Down to the Wire. We are live every Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember, you can call us at 631-965-4990. TheWorldWideSportsRadio.com. I would like to thank uh, the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. I'd like to thank uh, Speedy for just being Speedy. And, and by the way, I'd like to thank our first guest. Go ahead, introduce him, Speedy. Corey Provis, play-by-play Co- announcer for the Minnesota Twins. Yep, Corey Provis and uh, the B for calling the show and all the fans that listen to us every single day. Uh, we will be back on Thursday. Yes, uh, the Morning Boys with uh, Ryan Hickey will be there. And our show, the the draft show... Of below the mic, we're going to have Brandon Jacobs. We're working on Eric Coleman, and we also have. Uh, I'm trying to. We have to reach out to an insider. We have to get an NFL insider so we can talk to draft a little bit with them. I know they're going to be busy, but hopefully we can get somebody from Bleacher Report or somebody that can work with us and uh, and and go through the draft a little bit with us. And uh, we are going to have the voice of the Miami Heat 
with us at 7 o'clock. Who's that? Mike Inglis is his name. Mike Inglis. So uh, he is the voice of the Miami Heat. So we'll have a – we have a – Grand pack show. Uh, we're gonna have Anthony Anderosi here, Speedy Peter, hopefully Mikey C. Shout out to Ryan Hickey. Tried to uh, try to fill in and uh, try to come here, but he's working at CBS Sports Radio, so Ryan will not be joining us. But uh, uh, he will be here uh, from our hearts. So uh, we will be back on Thursday with Below the Mic. Until then, this is Earl Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.